Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Building downtown. Building downtown. Building downtown. And I want to show you something crazy. It's crazy that you send me this. Watch. Okay. So you see what I'm doing right now, right? Yeah. Take it something off the wall. I don't know if you can see that. Can you see that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The black and white photos. Who's the guy in the picture? Is that Kane? It's Kane Velasquez. See this? Yeah. Picture? Oh, so you just saw the <laughs> Kane and I are oh. Kane and I are brothers. I stay at his house in California. That's my homie. Wow. Like my fam, like my fam, like I send his kids gifts. His kids send my kids gifts. That's like one of my brothers. Holy so shit. I, I heard what happened yesterday, and I was getting calls and emails from people across Canada who know how close Kane and I are. Yeah, I was just reading now the update for the day that what happened and I'm not doing oh, what I didn't see it. What did it say? It's somebody molested one of his. So the rumor yesterday was that somebody assaulted his son. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, I want to be clear. I, I'm only going to what I see on the news and on the news yep. today, he was charged. He went in his car with a loaded gun, rammed the other car, got out and shot the guy twice. The guy he shot just got charged for molesting some a kid. And, and all it says in the news is that it molested some, a, a kid very close to Kane. Now I'm yeah. not going to start rumors because I, I don't, I'm only going to what I heard, but mm. I know Kane, he is the most laid back, relaxed guy in the world in real life. And I said to everybody, cause people were calling me. They're like, yo, what do you think happened? I'm like, listen, it's only one of two things either something to do with his wife or kids would take him to that level. And so I'm going to assume based on what it's seeing in the news that it might've been something to do with apparently like one of his kids and the guy that he shot was just charged yesterday or two days ago for molesting the kid. So I'm not, it's on the news. They're like, and the guy who got shot and was molested, whomever mm -hmm. is got bail. He was out on bail. That's fucked. Perfect. That's a, that's a fucking mess, man. That person should not be out on bail, especially that fast. So I guess the guy, got, I'm guessing again, from what the news is saying that the guy got bail and Kane was like, oh, you got bail? All right, cool. Found the guy, rammed his truck into the guy and popped him twice. Jesus. And it's crazy too, because being a, but we usually have an intro here, but we're recording. So we're just going to roll with it. As ever, you viewers and listeners now, I'll add something quick here. Billion downtown, as you know, Krill Kasatsky's not with me today. Please hit him up at Krill Raps, K-R-I-L-R-A-P-S. Being from the Ukraine, he's going through a lot. My co-host Amy Barton is here, the, the voice from the sky, as we call her, and Neil Forrester from Substance Substance, Substance Cage Combat. I almost called it the promotion. The Substance Group is here today. We're, we're gonna keep rolling with this. Kane Velasquez. Um, I don't know Kane. So I, wait, side note: what I read was that the guy that actually got shot was the accused molester guy's stepfather. It wasn't even him. 
Oh, I, I, did you just read that now? I only read what I just saw on TMZ. So yeah, maybe- no, it said blah, blah, blah. He was arrested, charged Monday after allegedly shooting at another person who is being charged with molesting a relative of Alaska's. According to the Santa Clara District Attorney's Office, the person hit by the bullets was the stepfather of the accused and is expected to survive his injuries. Yeah, because apparently the stepfather and the guy, the accused, were in the car together. So again, I don't know if Kane was reckless and started shooting. Who knows? Maybe he went to go confront the guy and the stepdad jumped in front and who knows, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like I was about to say, uh, I'm not friends with Kane. I've interviewed him a couple times back when I used to work in the combat sports world. But Mm -hmm. um, other than that, it's just, you know, I don't know him at all. But his demeanor and what you always heard about him, he's a nice, friendly, calm, gentle giant, so to speak. Yeah. Right. So this seems out of character for someone who doesn't know him well. Neil, you you know him. You're, you're, you stay at his goddamn house. He stays at yours. I mean, that's a pretty tight friendship, right? You don't just let strangers sleep over. Um, is his demeanor like that? Is he a calm, gentle guy? He's, He's, he is the calmest, most laid back dude ever, even when there's no one in the room and it's just the two of us or with eating dinner. Like, he's just a laid back guy. The guy is a very simple guy. He cares about his family and that's it. Like nothing else. He just, he cares about his friends and his family. And that's it. He's got, he's got a good life. He's, you know, he, he, he's got a good secluded life with his wife and kids. He doesn't even live in a big city. He lives 40 minutes outside of uh, San Jose. So he doesn't even live like where there's a lot of action. He's laid back. We've gone to, listen, we went to a San Francisco 49ers football game in San Francisco one year and Mm. he wore a hat and he was like almost disguised and and he just just, he's so laid back like he's like so calm it's just out of his character so yeah well he was mad enough that he went on an 11 mile high speed chase before he rammed the truck and shot into the truck yeah well you know what i i don't know what i would do if somebody if one of my children or somebody close to me our family member was molested by somebody right I, I, I know my temper and I have a, I'm actually a hotter head than he is. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I think, um, yeah, I, I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know. I don't it's, know. It's funny you say that you, you, you're more of a hothead than he is. The first time I ever met you, I remember you walked into a place. I'm not going to put them on blast, but you walked into a place and I happened to be in there and uh, you had to look on your face like, these fucking pieces of shit and you you came in and you talked to a few people and then you had this look on your face and i was like yo that guy must be a real asshole well these people turned out to be fucking scumbags ripping off fighters and all kinds of shit so in the end i was like now i know i neil came in there because when i did uh scc as media i met you there again and you were cool as could be nicest guy ever i had you on my show a couple times back in the day nice as ever i've had interactions with you like through facebook messenger nice as ever so it's like oh that's why he knew these fucking scumbags were ripping off fighters yeah you know what man honestly that's people that don't know me you know they say certain and listen i can be a bit of an a-hole but it's not without reason and like i've been in business for myself for 25 years and, you know, if, if, if you're too nice, people take advantage and walk over you and rip you off. And it's happened to me dozens more times than I can count. Yep. But then when you're stern and you're strict, you're an asshole. So it's like, is like, like, what's the balance? And so, you know, if I hear something and I'm not exactly sure of the scenario you mentioned, but if mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm in a situation where I'm unsure or I have my guard or I'm unaware or I've heard certain things, I'm not coming in there like to be taken advantage of right and uh and usually like my biggest problem is i'm very empathetic so like i look out for others you know and i i take especially fighters man like those guys don't make money they're 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 Mm -hmm. putting their body and 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 everything on the line and 
and some scumbag is going to try and take advantage of them or rip them off. I mean, that's oh. why I started Substance Cage Combat initially was to give fighters a fair and equitable opportunity to, to train and fight and have opportunity. I never did the fights to make money. If I broke even, that was my goal, which is right. to say that as a business person kind of sounds silly, but you know, I wasn't, it wasn't about that. I was like, I just care if I break even. Yeah, man. SCC was dope. That was dope events too. That was a, uh, I liked what was going on with those. Um, and I'm speaking to you back then, right? Like it was, it, you seem like you really had a plan together. And when you get into this, the regional level of shows, there's so many fucking slime balls or people that have a misconstrued. They think, you know what? I'm going to put a fight card together. Next event, I'm going to be Dana White. No, you're fucking not. That's not how this shit goes. Not at I, all. I, you know what? I, I did have some dreams. I had some plans to do more, to be honest with you. And I can say it now. And I would have said it back then because was I don't need to bite my tongue is if I told you the levels of sabotage that Ken Hayashi put me through. I've heard that from uh, Garnett Ace as well. Yeah, Garnett will tell, like, but, but like, so Ken Hayashi is a master manipulator. The guy should get a Grammy or not a Grammy, an Oscar. <laughs> this guy would, and what he, he's so tactical. What he'll do is he'll call you. He won't put it in email. He doesn't do email. So there's no recording or copy oh, of it. Oh, no you, documentation. He'll call you randomly from a private number in the middle of the day or middle where you can't catch it. And he'll just say, hey, um, I'm not approving this fight. And I'm like, yeah, but you already approved it two weeks ago and the fight's in five days. <laughs> well, I'm not approving it. So you better cancel or find another fight or the card's off. And this is like four days before the card. And then he'll yeah. hang up. And so I can't record it. I can't, like, you're just screwed, right? Yep. Like, that guy even had the adapt. Like, I don't care about the guy. Like, I noticed you swear. So fuck that guy. I'd like to find yeah. him. <laughs> fuck. Swear. Say whatever you want, that, that, man. That's a guy. If I see on the street, he'd probably get the shit kicked out of him. Um, by me. <laughs> no, I don't care. I don't care because. Yeah, fuck him. No, I lost. Listen, I, you know, the guy did so many. He lies. He backstabs. He would tell, he would approve a fight and say he didn't approve the fight because it's not in writing. Mm-hmm. But you approved it. Does it say anywhere in writing? I approved it. I'm like, oh, here we go. You're gonna play games. I I had to cancel four fights the week mm -mm. before the card. Nope. Fuck, man. That last Global Warriors event that Garnett Ace tried to put on, like that hurt him financially. That put stress on his marriage. I mean, I had Garnett on to talk about. It. I became friends with Garnett through helping him like promote Global Warriors stuff. And that last one, Ken, I actually did him so fucking bad. It fucked with his his financial livelihood, his marriage. Like it, you know, and something like that, especially once you start losing your marriage and stuff like that, that could drive a person to suicide. And, and Garnet, right? Like, Garnet's, a, and Garnet's my boy. Me and Garnet go back years. Like, me and him are really good friends. Right. And like, look, he's had health issues that, you know, like, yeah. he just had a bunch of personal issues that we all go through. Um, oh. And it's just unfair what this guy did. You know, we're putting hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, whatever the numbers of dollars out. We're trying to do something good. We all know we're not getting rich off of local MMA cards. Right. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> That's an understatement, but yeah. And then, and then you're sitting there making it harder for us. Like the guy who's charging $1,700 for a knockout bonus. So if I had 10 fights, I had to pay an $850 uh, knockout fight, uh, a bonus per, not bonus, sorry, an $850 knockout fee. He would charge me. Per fight, it was 1700 So I go, I go, so I said to Ken one day, I go, so if I have 10 fights, mm. I have to pay $17,000 in knockout fees in case somebody gets knocked out. He goes, yeah. I said, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So I said but how do you, I said, but, and you have to pay it up front two weeks before the fight. I said, but you're charging me on the assumption that every fight has a double knockout. Yeah. 
That's fucking ridiculous. Well, if you don't like it, then you don't have to fucking do the card. I don't give a shit. That's the rules. If you don't like wow. it, fuck it. Bro, I have contacts within the government. Okay. Okay. I tried to get him booted. I went to people that write policy and procedure. I went to people that work in this office. They were like, Neil, the guy's untouchable. He had a lifetime position there and mm -hmm. he had influence over people that were his superiors because he was there longer than them. And here's the thing that he did. I'm not a dumb guy. I'm not the smartest guy, but I'm not a dumb guy. What he did is this, guys. He did just enough to tell his superiors that he's approved fights, but not enough to make it an economical driver for the province. So he would approve three fights a year. And they would take that and he would go and report and say, well, I approved three fights a year. It's not my problem. Nobody wants to do the fights. Nobody is coming up. But what he doesn't tell his bosses is he won't approve fights this month because he goes to Florida. He doesn't approve fights on these weekends because he doesn't want to do long weekends because he goes away to his boat in Oakville. Holy like, shit. And that, so he would, and, and yeah, so he would do all these tactics. And I sat there and I said, listen, at the end of the day, the province cares about one thing, revenue to the province. So mm -hmm. if there's taxes that are, you know, coming from revenue streams that go to the province, he did just enough to say, well, we made a hundred grand this year from fights which covers his salary. He had one assistant, a girl named Catherine. And he mm -hmm. was like, nobody seems to want to be able to do this right. He would kind of be able to use that. And mm -hmm. then, and like, dude, even the UFC, you know what he did to the UFC? No. They sent him, med I know this, don't ask me how I know, but I know. Okay, I yeah, that's fair. <laughs> they sent him medicals from Quebec for French fighters when they were fighting in Ontario. He refused to accept them. Says, get them to me in English. What the fuck? Seriously, in Canada, a, a fucking a, a country full of French speaking people. When you go to school here, you learn fucking French in school. It's our language. It's it's. Yeah. And the thing is, you're a month out from like a million dollar UFC card. Uh, and you're kind of like, well, do we play this game or do we just get it in English because we don't have time, right? Yeah. Or we might be going to fight. And he had that influence. Like, listen, he, the one thing I'll give the cocksucker is. He is <laughs> I love this. He, he is consistent he'll consistently fuck with everybody right and you'll notice something he there's been no bellator card here in five six years because the matchmakers and guys from bellator refused to come back to ontario as long as he was commissioner that's a fucking shame too bellator put on some great events Did you know that there's a rama let me ask you a question do you know the do you know the rule about the gauze on your hands no okay so when you tape your hands before you fight whether it's yeah. boxing or mma right okay so, so he had a rule Okay, you could mm -hmm. only use, I believe it was like one roll of gauze per hand. Okay. 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 Yeah. Well, listen to this. Are you guys ready? Yeah. You think Brock Lesnar has the same size hand right. as Demetrius Johnson? <laughs> oh, yeah. I never even thought about that. I was wondering where you're going with this. No shit, eh? There was absolutely no rhyme or reason to half the things he discussed. And if you asked him, just asked him, you were challenging him. Even if you said, listen, Ken, I just want to know, this guy's 250 pounds and his hand is like four times the size of that guy. Mm -hmm. You can wrap guys 20 times around this guy's hand, but this guy can only get it around twice. Should we not be allowed more? Hey, if you don't like to, I'll cancel the fight right now. Are you questioning Holy me? Holy shit, eh? He no. was a fucking nightmare. I've heard lots of horror stories, but not like, uh, you know, yeah. some of the things you're going over right now. I'm telling you details because you know what? So many people were scared to say anything at the end of the day. I'm not, even if he was the commissioner right now, I would yeah. still say it because I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. And that guy, he, what he would do though. So this is where he would be just eloquent. This guy was so genius. You'd go to see him in his office. Mm -hmm. 
And he would start making jokes and you'd think, wow, this guy's a really nice guy. Everyone says he's a dick, but he's, maybe he just likes me because those guys are unprofessional. Maybe yep. he just understands, cause I'm an events guy. I've been running events across Canada for 25 years. I'm not gonna lie to you. I walked into his office and I thought, well, maybe I've done events for 20, 30,000 people. I can deal with this shit, no problem. He gave me all the rules. I said, no problem. I'll pay the fighters two weeks in advance. No problem. I want to make sure they get paid too. I agree with that. No yep. problem with this. No problem with that. Whatever you need, whatever you want. I'll even get professional guys that are going to do drawings for you, you know, mock-ups. I'll do everything you want. Oh, that's mm -hmm. great. That's great. And just when you think like, yo, this guy's my guy, he'll demand to do a venue walkthrough in person okay. and he'll completely, because there's no, there's no, there's no videotape. There's nothing. And he'll just completely shit, rip the place apart. So you have to redo everything. And you're like, ah, oh, the events in four weeks, bro. What do you mean? You already approved it verbally when I sent it to you on an email last week. And now we're doing a walkthrough and you completely changed everything. Yeah. And why are you dictating where my chairs go? As long as they're away from the cage in the ring, do you care where my chairs go? Like he would just find things to mess with you. And then think about it. Like you're trying to promote an event. You're mm -hmm. trying to market an event. You're trying to like get corporate sponsors. You're trying to like, deal with fighters that fell out because they're having, you know, they got injured. You're trying to replace matches. I mean, you know, I had a team, I had a team of five or six people, but I mean, they cost money and mm -hmm. I, I needed to work on, you know, uh, budgets where I couldn't afford to pay 20 people to work. Yeah. just made it really difficult. You made it really difficult. And, and, you know, nobody's going to care because he's gone and it didn't drive a lot of revenue for the province. But if you look at the amount of fights that are happening in Ontario, since he retired, it went mm -hmm. up like automatically it went up like four times in one year. It, it went yeah. from three fights a year to like 10. Yeah. He was a fucking nightmare. And I heard it from, from fighters, promoters, anyone who worked within there. Uh, I, I'm sure you knew Alex Pecker Gasset is right. Pecker's my boy. Pecker. Yeah. Right. I, I was pretty sure you knew Pecker. Um, and now he works within the commission and yeah. it's funny. Cause last time I saw him, it was at a BTC that was at the Kitchener auditorium. Yeah. And I ran into him there and we're, we're shooting the shit for a few minutes. And I was like, oh, Ken Hayashi's gone. And, and Packer was like, oh, you know, Ken had a lot to do. And I'm like, what the fuck? Your tune changed. Packer for years was on a mission to fucking kill that guy. And it's yeah. not like, you know, he was like, you know, you know, praising Ken Hayashi or anything, but he just didn't have the, the hate in his heart that he once did. It's weird, man. I, I don't know. It, it was just really unfortunate that a lot of, people for no reason lost out on opportunities because of this guy. And it's really unfortunate that he got away for 20 plus years, just ruining people's lives and livelihood. Like I heard, like you mentioned Garrett Garnet. like, yeah, I heard stories where he would just like, didn't care. Like guys would lose like 50 grand, hundred grand. And he didn't give a shit. Mm -hmm. Like imagine yeah. like, and, and let me explain to you guys, because I'm giving you detail. The way he'll screw you is this. I will have, Fighter A versus Fighter B. One guy's from Kitchener, one guy's from Ottawa. Okay, I'll pay you guys a couple hundred bucks extra to drive into the city. He'll cancel mm -hmm. the fight like a week out because the winner, because like, I'll give you an example. Like the winner of that fight has got a good chance of getting a Bellator UFC contract. So it's like, you know, two two borderline guys in the winner. Like, like I'm using an example only, but like yeah. Adrian Woolley versus like uh, Alex Ricci. Okay. So, you know, like they're on the cusp of signing. And he'll call me, he's like, I'm canceling this fight. So now what do you got to do? Who's going to fight Adrian Woolley with one week's notice or, yeah, or Alex Ricci? Guess who's going to fight them? Some guy in Mexico uh -huh. or some guy in Brazil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. And that's the only way you save the fight. And Alex, by the way, and Adrian, by the way, sold 200 tickets. So if I don't replace that fight, I have to refund those 200 tickets. So then okay. I got to buy two guys in from Brazil or from Mexico. And I did it. I had to, if you look at my cards, you'll see I flew guys in from other countries because I had to replace the original fights. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a second. I just spent $4,000 to pay the fighter. I paid $4,000 for flights. I had to get this. I had to get that. I just paid $12,000 for one fight to save it. So I could keep these 200 tickets from having to be refunded a week before. It's just like, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. No shit, man. No. And that's the last thing, like, you, you know, it's the last thing you need. Like you just said, you're trying to get corporate sponsors, deal with fighters that pull out for legitimate reasons, right? They hurt themselves in training, whatever it may be. You already got that shit to deal with. Plus, Let's not forget, you also have a company to run. You have a life to deal with, everything else. You don't need that shit added on top, right? Like, because sooner or later, and Ken, Ken must know this, right? Sooner or later, a person's going to say, fuck this, it's not worth it. I literally, my phone, walk away. my phone's ringing right now. My buddy, he's like, he throws a bunch of boxing cards. Lee, okay. Lee, uh, yeah. Lee Baxter. Yeah, he's yep. literally calling me on the phone, like right now as we're talking. He could tell you a story <laughs> too, but like, you know, <laughs> I, that, that was the reason why I stopped doing my cards originally was I was like, wait a second. I'm like 37, 38 years old. I've got two young kids. I've got other businesses. And that was the thing that people don't realize. I have other businesses. I, ran. I had a gym that I own. I have my main company, which is Substance Group. I was taking time away from those businesses and helping them grow to focus on a fight card because I had 100 grand mm -hmm. invested in this fight card that was coming up in two weeks. I needed to save it. So now... I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm not focusing on my day-to-day -day job. That's paying me my, paying my bills. Mm -hmm. And then it affects that part of your life. So when you mentioned Garnet and his health and his relationship and his, I get it. Like, I get it. I mean, my relationship was already strained with my ex anyway. So who gave a shit, but, <laughs> but, but it was more like my kids and my own mental health and my sanity. And I was like, this is not right. I'm doing all this for nothing. Like I didn't even want to make money, but now I'm going to lose money. Like, like I lent, I ended up losing like, I don't know, like 15 grand, my second fight. Bam. Like I actually broke even on my first fight. And that was like, whoa, break even's good on your first event. Yeah. I was prepared to lose up to $10,000 on the first fight. We actually broke even. So if you remember, I was like, yo, I want to do another fight right away. This is yeah. great, blah, blah, blah. I felt the energy. And then this, and then I think when Ken realized like, oh, this guy wants to do more. He's like, I'm not going to have that happen. Because three mm -hmm. months later, whatever it was, I did another fight. And it just became a whole other nightmare. And I was like, you know what? I can't do this. It's not fair to me or my family, you know? So yep. I just, uh, and like you, like you said too, you know, you got, you got substance group, you got your family, you got everything else that's going on. And you're, you said you're taking time away from it, but you couldn't necessarily take time away from it. You're just adding more to the shit you already have to do. Yeah. Right? There's only 24, there's only so many hours in a fucking day. And you're the, you're like, you know, you're a main component with these things you're speaking on. So you can't just be like, you know what? I'm going to step away from substance for fucking 12 right. months or eight months, right? right? To go do this fight thing and then come back. No, it's, you're stacking on top. I and the headaches just keep coming. And my whole thing was, I never had dreams of being the next Dana White. I wasn't trying to take this across Canada. It was, let's give, mainly the real reason was because I had a bunch of young fighters in my gym that were studs and mm -hmm. they weren't getting the opportunity. And like, because fighters, like a lot of promoters are not gonna fly a kid who's O and O to Calgary or to Vancouver let alone to Montreal. Mm -hmm. And they're only going to bring you in if you're going to fight one of their guys who's going to beat the shit, like who's five and oh. So mm -hmm. we were like, man, there's nothing happening here. So that was, if you, you know, you'll notice that a lot of my fights, it was guys that had less than one or two fights. And, and a lot of them were from my gym. 
And I was like, mm-hmm. let's get them to fight against other guys in the city, right? And let's yep. just kind of build like a community. Now, I'll tell you in all fairness, because I don't want to put it all on Kenayashi, mm-hmm. half the gym owners are full of shit themselves because <laughs> they would they would say that they would help sell tickets if I put their fighters on and I would put their fighters on and I would give them 50 tickets and then they would lose the tickets or they didn't sell any tickets or they'd show up saying they sold 40 tickets. And then at the night, they sh- I would try to collect the tickets the week before. We couldn't get a hold of them. The, the night of the fight, they'd show up with the tickets and they only sold 10. Yeah, sorry, I didn't sell the rest. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, I could have sold those 40 <laughs> tickets. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, 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 I half the gyms and some of them are my friends they didn't they didn't really come back and help us the way they said they would and i never expected them to i'm a promoter by heart but don't tell me if i put your guy on don't say to me put my two guys on mm-hmm. and i guarantee you i'll sell 50 we'll buy 50 tickets we'll sell them mm-hmm. and then the night of the fight you give me back 40 of the tickets and you sold 10 and what are you supposed to do with them at that point you know what i mean try to get the word out the last 15 minutes before the event starts to get rid of those 40 tickets right and the other you're fucked. The other thing, and the other thing that people don't realize is 75% of the tickets are sold by friends and family of the fighters. Oh, That's for sure. Fun. Yeah, like, for like sure. Local MMA and even local boxing, it's not like you have people standing on their internet looking for the upcoming local MMA card, let alone knowing where to go for that stuff. So you've got 75% of the people that are there because their friends are fighting. So, yep. when, so when a third of the fighters, the, the managers or their gym are not selling the tickets for you, at mm-hmm. 25 30 like you're not i wasn't charging a hundred dollars 30 40 bucks a ticket yeah then that so then you know you're trying to sell a thousand tickets and 300 tickets get returned to you like within the last couple of days mm-hmm. you're gonna sell those right so it was it was it was a tough gig between not getting the support that you were supposed to get you know and i i, I lost a couple relationships from it because i don't bite my tongue and i told those guys afterwards i said you and i will not work together ever again i'm like you screwed me yeah, especially once they show you their, their colors like that once, right? It's fucking, what's, what's the point? They've been unreliable. They've, they've been uh, undependable. And why would you screw yourself again like that and put yourself right back in that same position? You know, yeah, some guys just don't think big enough or they don't think like that. I, mm-hmm. I was like, listen, it is what it is. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I have other businesses. I, I had the money to lose. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that to sound conceited. I, I don't, I, I'm not No, rich. it's just truth. I'm just, yeah. I'm not rich. I'm just saying, you know what, I had some... I was prepared to lose a little bit. I lost a little more than I should. I didn't lose too, too much. I did have a lot of corporate sponsors that helped me, but you know, I had a couple of TV deals with some relationships I had, but yeah, like at the end of the day, I'm like, thank God I had those relationships. Cause you're right. If I was like Garnet who may not have had those, I don't know. Or if I was like another promoter who's just trying to do something good and help, they would, I would have been on like another 30 grand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that could, that's, that could ruin your life. Somebody who's not prepared to take that much of a hit it's going to take a long time to come back from that. If you're, st- if your starting point is 30 grand in the hole, you got a lot of fucking digging to do. If you got, you know, nothing else to, for support financially, right. To get yeah. yourself out of there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember the first SCC event, the fucking, uh, there was something up with the Wi-Fi, and I came to you, I think it was, and said something, but I'm like, yo, I, the live reporting I was going to do and everything else I can't do because the Wi-Fi. And I said to you, uh, would you like me to get my media pass back? And then buy a ticket because I still want to stay. And you were like, no, fuck that. You know, I promoted the show through my podcast at the time. I was doing recap show the following week. And you were like, no, 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 fuck that. Enjoy the show. Stay here. So you don't seem like a difficult guy to deal with if somebody comes to you and they're straight up. Listen, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm 45 mm. and I've been in the sports and entertainment industry for 25 years and not everybody's going to like me, but 
nobody can say that I ripped them off or owe them money or done bad business. So I, I understand that that's just part of like, you know, not everyone's going to be your fan. And I have, I've accepted that a long time ago. Yep. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't sweat the small stuff. And I, I, I just try to be ethical and do, do good. And, and, you know, like at the end of the day, people are just, not everyone's going to dig your vibe and you just deal with it. Like I do, like I do, I have my own charity that I started years ago. I do a job fair for people with autism. It's the only one in the world. I spent tens of thousands of dollars of my own money to subsidize this. I spent hundreds of hours putting it together and I still get people calling me out. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you're calling me out. Well, Nothing's I'm, good well, enough. Well, right. yeah, I'm like, wait a second. I don't even have a connection personally to autism. I don't have a family member with it. I had a friend whose son had it. And I just thought of this cool idea. So I found out there was an 86% unemployment rate for people with autism. Wow. I found out there was all these, this, you know, but like, but like 80% of them can actually work. So I went out and I called Apple and Microsoft and Rogers and Bell and all these big companies. And I got them on board and I, I reached out to all these autistic service providers and I got them all on board and we've had, we've got hundreds of jobs for people. And I do it out of the kindness. Like I, there's no motive here. It's not even branded, nothing. And I still get every year three or four people coming at me for something. And I'm like, you just can never please everybody. No, so, no shit, eh? As long you're as doing I'm good, there. doing good. You're giving back. You're giving people opportunities. You're helping out the less fortunate. You're still a fucking asshole. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> so, at the end of the day, I stopped giving a shit about what people thought, except those people that are close to me or that I care about their opinion. Yep. As long as I can go to bed at night, knowing that I'm not a bad person, mm -hmm. I'm good. Uh, if we spoke on some experiences here in your, your combat sports stuff, but I know obviously a big part of your, your marketing promotion over the years and events, events you've been putting on has had to do with the, um, the music industry. Is the music industry just as slimy, worse, better worse, than the combat worse, sports industry? Worse. Worse. Yeah, worse. <laughs> oh, yeah. why? What? What? Like, give us not necessarily you have to give us stories, but well, what's uh, what makes it worse? Uh, well, I guess it's funny because uh, it, it, it's 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 <laughs> well, Cardi B, it's funny. I was just thinking she actually made a comment about a year ago and she said you could Google this comment, but she said the music industry is worse than the streets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, fuck, like, it's that there's bad. A reason, there's a reason why I left the music industry. Mm. Like I, I didn't leave because I wasn't making money. I left when I was doing my thing. I mean, I toured Justin Bieber, Drake, the Black Eyed Peas, Lady Gaga, Chris Brown, Rihanna, you, Akon, you name it. I did festivals for 20,000 plus people. I was getting flown to the Grammys. I got musicians shouting my name on their albums. Like I was doing my thing. That's so dope. That's so dope. Fuck. But I was, but I was genuinely, in a, I'll tell you guys a funny story. So during the pandemic, all my businesses kind of stopped for a little bit. And I got something for the first time I hadn't gotten in a long time, which was literally time. I had time. Mm -hmm. right? <laughs> okay. I, I, you know, even if I was on vacation with my family or Disney World, my phone was still ringing. I was still texting. I was still checking my emails. But for, for the period of two months, everything just stopped. Three months mm -hmm. just stopped. So I, you know, I sat there and I was like, listen, I'm like, this sucks, but it, you know, I've, I've had a pretty good run as in, you know, my, in my, since I started, you know, my businesses in the last 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, at some point there was going to be a setback and now this is it. And now this is how I have to figure out how to deal with these challenges. You know, that's what you do. You overcome obstacles. So I sat there and I was like, you know what, financially, I'm going to figure this out. I have some money. I'll have to deal with it. You know, so whatever. I sat there for a couple months. 
I started learning about mental health. I started teaching a course on mental health. I started taking courses on mental health, not for me, but for other reasons, mm-hmm. personal, not personally for me, but for other you know, reasons with family members. I wanted to better myself. I started reading books again. I learned how to meditate. I started doing all this shit. Mm-hmm. And I read this book and this book is called The Compound Effect. Okay. Okay. And there was this, I can literally count on my hand how many times I've had, I've sat there stunned like, whoa, this is like, what the hell just happened? So when I was in the music industry, when I was in the nightclub industry, when I was running all the big nightclubs and doing three, 4,000 people every, when I was 24, 25, I was grossing like seven, $8 million a year. Holy shit. Now, not on them. Now, no, no, but I want to be clear, guys. This is not me. I'm not rich. And this wasn't going in my pocket. My expenses were almost as high, but I'm just saying like, <laughs> I, 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 I was able to carve out enough of a life to live and pay my bills, but I was running 3,000 people on Friday, 3,000 people on Saturday. We were grossing, you know, stupid money every week at the door. We were bringing in artists. We were, we would also reinvest money into our events, like killing it, right? And I'm yep. 22, 23, 24. And then I went into the music industry and I started doing tours across Canada and I'm rolling into every city and people wanted to be my best friend in across Canada and throwing nice gifts at us and red carpet and you, you know, all these things. I'm not saying to brag. I'm saying that through all this, I never drank. I'm not a drinker and I don't do drugs. Haven't done it. No real reason, but it runs in my family. And I was like, you know what? I got to kind of be careful because I think the addiction gene runs in my family. So I was like very cautious Mm -hmm. not to get into that. But the one thing that I did, and I'm not proud of this, is I got in a lot of fights. I was angry. Okay. Okay. And it's not hard to find a fight in the nightclub. Right. And it's it's not easy. It's right. And it's not it hard easy. And, and, and I didn't know, and I never started. I want to be clear. I wasn't going in looking for a fight, but I was just waiting for a guy to step in my shoe and tell me I'm to fuck off. And it was like, yep. all right, cool. Thank you for yep. giving me a reason to punch. So I was getting in these fights in the nightclubs and I didn't know why. And I would go home and I think about it, guys, I'd go home 23, 24, 25 years old. I'm making all this, not me personally, but doing great with the business and, and, you know, just having a good life. And, but I was angry. I was upset. I didn't know why. And then I, then when I was doing these concerts, I had the same sort of thing. Why am I so angry all the time? And I didn't know why. Well, I read this book called the compound effect a year ago and it blew my mind. Okay. Mm -hmm. The reason I wasn't happy is because those industries never aligned with my values. Okay. So when I realized that it made sense as to why I wasn't happy and I'll tell you why they didn't align with my values everybody's out to fuck you they'll fuck mm-hmm. you for a dollar bro yeah everybody's out to fuck your girl you bring your girl to the club guys are checking for your girl bouncers are trying to beat bouncers in the back beating up your friends the bartender's ripping off your friends and charging them double for drinks that they didn't order the the owner's trying to shortchange you every weekend because you didn't hit the numbers but the nights that you exceed the numbers he still doesn't want to pay you what you're worth your dj fucks off because he goes to like everybody wow was, was out to get you and i don't want to i want to be fair i want to be fair there's maybe five or ten percent of people that are decent in that good industry. people yeah but like 90 percent aren't and they're not ripping you off for like a million like if you're gonna fuck me take me for a mil don't take me for like a hundred dollars yeah <laughs> no shit dude no dude that happened every week i would bring in a promoter because he wanted to do his birthday or a kid who'd want to do his birthday and I would incentivize him. I'm like, yo, if you bring like a hundred people, I'll pay you a couple hundred bucks. This is like 15. And the kid would bring like 10 people, man. Oh, yo, man, I brought 200 people. You should pay me 500 bucks. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, 
Uh, How do I tell you you fucking got nobody and you have no friends? If you brought 200 people, <laughs> if you brought 200 people, then why are you at a booth with five people right now and no one else? Like, uh-huh. let's not play this game. Oh, Neil's an asshole. You know, so the thing is those industries, you know, you're around a lot of just negative shit, you know, and a lot of bad people and a lot of vultures and no one's really your friend. And when the, when the, when the drinks are gone, no one's at your booth or like when you can't do something for them. So it was a lot of that. And it just didn't align with who I am as a person, mm-hmm. you know, and now I moved into the marketing space and, you know, I, I get to decide the team I work with. I get to decide the clients I work with. I get to decide on the campaigns and programs I work with. You know, don't get me wrong. There's people, there, there's there's douchebags in suits that try to fuck me all the time. I mean, okay. I, literally had a, I literally just had a client screw me for seven grand two days ago, right? Now, they didn't screw me. They just don't want to compensate me for the time we put into a project. So I don't want to sit there and act like this world is not like, has has its leeches, but it's nowhere near the toxicity. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, I, I remember I was doing a J. Cole tour and the piece of shit agent, I'm literally the same room I'm in. It was a Wednesday night and we had to pay J. Cole half a million dollars for like four shows or something like that at the time. And he calls me at 10 o'clock. The guy was in LA, this agent. It was 10 o'clock on a Wednesday night. I'm sitting here and my kids had to be about six or seven years old, seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yo, man, I confirmed it. To-. And this agent, by the way, is notorious for telling you something. And then when you get the contract, it's different. Oh, so, and I had learned that the hard way with him. So, but he's got, he's a high powered agent in the music industry. And by the way, like agents are the biggest pieces of shit in the earth. Okay. I would love to line them up and just start popping them all. Like that's my dream is to find one of them <laughs> and just knock them out. But like this dude calls me and goes, you need to wire a quarter million dollars into our account tomorrow or you're not getting the tour. And I was like, dude, it's 10 o'clock on a Wednesday. You just verbally confirmed it. And I'm not sending money till I get the contracts in the morning so I can review them, sign them and have them countersign. Mm-hmm. And we had, and this guy and I had like a six, seven year relationship. So it wasn't like he just met me. Yeah. He proceeds to berate me, calling me a fucking bitch, a fucking goof. Fuck you. You're a motherfucker. You're a piece of shit. Whoa. All over not wiring quarter million dollars without a signed contract. And, and, <laughs> and this is like, and this is like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm a family man. I got my kids. I got responsibilities. I have business and I'm being berated like this. Yeah. Like, that's not good for your health. Like, that's not, like, you don't talk to human beings like that. Exactly. Exactly. Unless you're, you know, some punk ass teenager, but as a grown man doing business, business that involves numbers like that, you can't be on the phone saying you're a bitch. But yeah. what kind of fucking businessman acts like that? And I said, and listen, right. I was like, so I got help. I'm yelling and screaming. And then I was just like, listen, I'm like, bro, I go, you're a bully in your office in LA. But one day if I see you, it's on site. I told him, I threatened him. <laughs> and I said, and I, and I said, you know what? And I said, you know, and I know that if you were in front of me, you wouldn't talk to me like this. Uh-huh. So be a man to talk to me on the phone the way you would talk to me if I was in front of you. Right. Yep. And it just got to the point where I couldn't deal with these people. Like you would give people, even the artists and their management, you know, you would give them like all this money. They get into, you know, cause I was responsible for everything. When you landed in any city, I was responsible for your, your ground transportation, your meals, the venue, the production, the hotel rooms, the flights, the tour, anything. If everything went right, there was not a thank you. But if one thing went wrong, like if I got you nine hotel rooms and there was eight suites instead of nine, mm-hmm. holy shit, we're not performing tonight. We asked for nine suites. 
And you're like, hold on a second. The ninth suite will be ready in two hours. They're still cleaning the ninth suite. No, that's too bad. That's not what, like, just like, it was such a thankless job. And look, I'm a big boy. I can, I can deal with that. We're not friends. Mm-hmm. I get it. Like, we're not friends. We're here to do business. But like, exactly. it was just absolutely like no quality of life. It's not good for your health. Like, it's not good at all. Artists would show up when they want. I remember I did a tour at the game in 2005. He went on late an hour every day just to fucking be a dick. And I would have to oh. pay a fine of an extra $10,000 each show because he would go over the, the curfew. Oh, my God. I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, yeah. oh no. So every venue, Holy. every venue, I'll tell you guys something that people don't know, and you'll notice this, and it very rarely is not a thing, but the odd time it happens, there's an 11 o'clock curfew for venues. So yep. if you notice, whenever you go to a festival, whenever you go to a concert venue, arena, stadium, whatever, the yep. shows are done before 11 o'clock. Well, unless they're Holy pulling in shit. enough money that they don't give a fuck about paying the fines, which is plenty of them. Which, which happens, you're right, but it's still a rarity because sometimes the fines can be like stupid. But yeah. but 95% of the time, the shows end by 11, lights on, get out. Right. Mm-hmm. You will literally have artists look at you and be like, yeah, get the fuck out of my room because if you come in here again, I'm not going to perform tonight. So now it's 10 o'clock and he hasn't gone on and he was supposed to be on at nine o'clock. And now he just <sighs> feels entitled to fuck with you. How about the time I booked Tyga to do the show in Halifax and his, and he refused to do any marketing and the show wasn't selling as well as we had hoped. We were hoping to sell 1500 tickets. I think we sold seven or 800 tickets. He refused to do any marketing. I get a call from his manager, Jay Irving at the time. And he was like, Neil, um, we have to leave Halifax at 9 PM. We have a flight cause we've got to be in the States tomorrow. I'm like nine o'clock. You have to fly out. So you got to be at the airport by about eight o'clock. I'm mm-hmm. like, so what time is he going to go on? Well, he wants to go on at 7 p.m. I'm like, the fucking doors open at 7 p.m., dude. <laughs> what the fuck? So Holy I was like, shit. So I was like, you know what? I'm like, okay. I said, I'll tell you what. Meet me halfway. Do some marketing for the show. Do a radio interview. Do a video drop so I can try to get some ticket sales. Mm-hmm. And fucking tweet one time. Yeah. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it, Amy. Freaking up. Uh- Krill, who my co-host, our co-host, who's usually here with us, he's a rapper. Now it's terrifying. And every time, every time someone says my friend is a rapper, I'm like, fuck, I don't want to hear the shit. But he's actually dope. He's actually he's been making music with uh, some names and working on a, a guy right now that I can't say the name because I don't want to spoil anything. But uh, now it's getting to the point. He, he rapped in Russian all of his life. Uh, and about a year and a half ago, he switched to English. He's put out two projects since then. And now it's, I, I, I don't do music at all. I don't speak that fucking language, but I help him with everything that doesn't have to do stuff with the music. Now, it, he really wanted to be here for this, but with everything going on in Ukraine, I, you know, I'm sure you can understand why he can't be here, right? It's like now when he's looking at artist development and he's going out and he's trying to make these contacts just to see who's who and what's what, how the fuck do you cipher through the bullshit and what's legit, right? Because... He reaches out to some people, and there's certain people I know within the music industry. I've been like, hey, yo, do you know, have you heard of this person? And they're all like, no, I haven't heard of that one, or I haven't heard of this one, whatever it may be. And all of them are like, yo, do extensive research on anything, artist development, management, any of that fucking shit. What advice would you have for someone like Krill or, you know, anyone in his position? I mean, you know, that's a good question. I mean, realistically, you kind of just nailed it. It's like, do your research. You know, the problem is there's a lot of hustlers out there and they know to tell you, they know how to sell. They know how to, they know how to sell you bullshit. And, you know, these are professional hustlers who can sort of BS their way 
and get and they see that you're excited and everybody's all, oh my god i met this guy he knows so and so you work with this guy or you know what these guys know how to get the pictures with the right artists so they go look man that's my boy see i'm in a picture with this guy and they can sell it right you yep. know end of the day I, I gotta be honest like i literally had this happened to me about six months ago there was a guy there's a local rapper here in Toronto. Apparently, I don't know his name, but he's popular now. He's got a song with Drake, and okay. a friend, one of my guys, was telling me about him. And he was like, "Yeah, he got some call from some guy in the U.S. from Def Jam. He was saying this, that, and the other, and he's an A&R." So I called the VP of A&R for Universal in the States, who's a friend of mine, Steve. You know, um, Steve, and I was like, "Yo, can you just tell me if this guy's legit?" He was like, "Never heard of this guy." Uh huh. And this was the vice president of A&R for Universal Music. And the, oh. and the guy that I was asking to validate worked, said he worked in the NR department in Universal, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. these guys know how to talk a game. I, I got to be honest, like my, my, my really only advice is um, do your due diligence. We live in a time right now where you have more access to information than ever before. Mm -hmm. It's not hard to Google somebody. It's not hard to validate somebody. And to be really honest with you, people need to really just be willing to ask the questions like, I need a reference, you know, Yo, or, that's the first thing I said. I'm like, give me a list of references, not your buddies. Give me legit references. And I don't want to text someone. I want a fucking a phone number. I want an email address that I don't want to end and at gmail.com or who, or who right? can I call or who can right. I call from the record labels or from this company or this, this group that will verify you. Give me their contact or let me or tell me their names and I'll call them myself. Don't give yeah. me. Don't give me a fake number. We all call one of your friends who's going to pretend he's so-and-so. Exactly. Because these guys do that, man. Like there's guys out there that, that have, you know, been sued for millions because they've misrepresented themselves, but they take these young up and coming artists money. You know, I'm going to do all this, pay me this, pay me that. I'll, I'll put you on here. You know, all this mm. stuff, it's hustle, right? So, I mean, the only benefit, one of the few benefits that we have, or sorry, one of the many benefits we have with the internet, I apologize, is, is, is that, you know, we have access to things now. You mm -hmm. can literally do some research and go down a rabbit hole or just type in a guy's name and type in the word fraud, like literally like so-and-so <laughs> fraud. Yeah. And sometimes things will come up. It's I've done it a million times. There's this one guy that Chris has been talking to recently. He says that uh, he's done, uh, he's an A&R for Cash Money and Rich Gang. He's done work for Little Wayne and the list goes on and on and on. It's all in an email. I can't find a single thing about this guy on Google. Now I talked to Sharon, Corey Sharon, battle rapper. He's on Wild and Out. Everything. He's a good friend of mine. I know, I know. He's dope. He's dope. The kid yeah, from yeah. Wild, right? Yeah. 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 So I, I talked to Sharon. Also he's autistic. Autistic. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Did you ever make contact with him last yeah, year? He came to my, yeah. He came to my office. Um, well, he came to my, was it you and I that was talking about it last year? He came to my, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw you, I saw you were doing a fundraiser and I reached out to you and I was like, Hey, I might have a guy for this that, uh, I would, like be, uh, actually, I would like to talk to me. I would like to talk to me. No problem. No problem. I can set that up. To be Thank honest, you. he came to my office with some of the King of the Dock guys and it had nothing to do with me, but there was issues yeah. on their end and it just, it was weird. So I just- Was that know. last year? Oh, like three years ago. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that wasn't for the autistic thing you were trying to do last year? No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah, they yeah, wanted, yeah. We were going to- yeah. If you if you want to be hooked up with him again, like I said, it's no problem. I can connect you guys, no problem. I talked to Sharon last year, and I talked to you about it for the uh, the 
the autism fundraiser thing. I think it was a job fair thing you were doing. Yeah, it was the job fair. I want to, you know, it's coming up April 8th, so the time is good now. I'd love to figure Perfect. out Perfect. Yeah, for sure. I'll, yeah, man, because when I talked to him, friggin', and I'm like, can I ask you? I actually have documentation of it. Sharon was like, fuck yeah, I'd love to do it. Tell him to hit me up. Send him my number. So yeah, no, that's not a problem at all. But um, what I was saying is, yeah, when I asked Sharon about it and some other people, but Sharon especially, Sharon's like, if this guy is an A&R for Rich Gang and Cash Money Records and he did this work with Lil Wayne and all this shit, he'd be all over Google. Nobody hides their credentials like that, right? If that was legit, he'd say, here's my credentials, check them out, verify them, I'm legit, do what you want. Not just send an email with a list of fucking things saying you did them. And I also said to Krill too, I was like, you know what? Even say they are true. Now I could make a list like this too. This guy offers an artist development course. Okay. I could say work for UFC, work for Bellator, work for Caesar Palace gaming casinos, uh, did analyst work on the score and TSN. All that shit is true. Doesn't mean I should be teaching a course of journalism. You yeah. know what I mean? These places had me on to cover one thing at one time in life. I'm not a fucking journalism professor. So uh, that's another thing too, right? Like I'm sure I could give someone some game, but I'm not the guy you should be paying fucking a thousand bucks a month to teach you things. Well, it's, and I'll be honest, man. Like I had, I can't even count the amount of times artists came to me uh, asking me to manage them or asking me to listen to their demo. And I would tell them, I'm like, listen, I need to be clear about something. Mm -hmm. I'm not an artist manager. I'm a concert promoter. Yep. I don't develop artists. I take already established artists and tour them. Yep. And I don't have an ear for music. I didn't, I didn't develop Drake. I didn't develop Justin Bieber. <laughs> I just worked with them when they were already popular and I toured them. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, so there was, I, I, I've seen it. Like I've seen artists beg me to manage them. I've seen artists literally willing to throw money. I've had artists come at me begging me to just put them on and i'm like what do you want me to put you on i tour concerts that's what i do yeah <laughs> I, I would get guys coming to my office like daily bro daily with their with their cds or their dvds or their epks like back in the day like you'll check out my music man and i'm like what do you want me to do with it i'm not i don't work for the record label i'm not an a and r i'm a concert mm -hmm. promoter right so i even saw it and i'm not even on that side of the business so i'm on yeah. I'm not on the record industry side. Yeah. Really? So, but when you got into this, sorry, go ahead. That's what it. No, no. Oh, uh, when you got into this, the music promotion shit, did you start right away doing big name, big events? Yeah. So I got lucky. So I was doing, when I was doing my content, my, so my original way into all this was I used to promote nightclubs back in the day. My con, my company was called mass appeal entertainment. And the reason I was called mass appeal entertainment is because I was going out to these black parties, these Chinese parties, these Filipino parties, these Indian parties, and they were all listening to the same music. Uh -huh. And sometimes the DJs were the same, but the parties were all segregated. Okay. And I realized, cause I'm half Indian. My mom's family's from India. Right. Oh, so, and, okay. and I grew up in Scarborough in the eighties. So I grew up around black Filipinos, like most of my high school, mm. elementary school. So, so I grew up around a multicultural world. So I, I sat there one day and I was like, you know what, man? I'm like, I want to bring this all together. Like there's 500 people at this club, a thousand people at this club, 800 at this club. And they're all going to the same restaurant after, and they all go to the same high school or college or university. But when it comes to going to the clubs, they're going to different clubs based on their culture. And nope. I would go to these parties and I never felt out of place. I never went into a party where there was, you know, whatever gender, whatever, or race, sorry. And mm -hmm. I felt like, oh my God, all eyes are on me. They didn't give a fuck, you know, like, we, nope. you know, because they walked outside and it was multicultural, but they went into the club. So my, I had like, 
I went to school for marketing and I, I feel like I'm creative. And I was like, I want to appeal to the masses, man. Like mass appeal. We appeal to the masses. So my whole thought was when I do parties, I want to do big parties. I want to run the government and do 3000 people. I want to do docs mm. and do 3000 people. Oh, I miss those places. So those, when I ran those clubs, it was because my premise was all the different organizations and all the promotion companies that cater to those groups. I brought them under one house, right? Yep. So because I was doing three, 4,000 people every week, celebrities would come to my party. Pharrell would come when the art, NBA players would come to my party in the early 2000s when the NBA came to Toronto. And I got to meet people. And I remember um, Molson and Benson and Hedges and some sponsors used to sp throw money at us to sponsor because we had an audience. And I just, I, I started meeting people and they were like, do you want to, do you want to do a show at this guy? Do you want to do a show at that guy? And I just, just jumped into it and I was doing shows. Like I was doing concerts at my parties with like fabulous and a couple of pretty big artists at the time. And then I got these, it was just through networking. And then I got an opportunity to do the Sean Paul tour uh, because I was managing a DJ named baby you. And I was okay. getting to know, so I was his manager for 15 years and I got to meet all these promoters across Canada and so Sean Paul's original manager was went to school in Montreal. He's from Jamaica, but he went to school in Montreal. And his roommate was a friend of mine. So his roommate from Montreal called me and says, listen, bro, like I got this contract to do the Sean Paul tour, but I don't know anyone in Canada. Can you help me with it? So I, mm -hmm. I put this tour on across Canada and it was when he blew up. It was when he had, you know, those give me the light and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So my first ever tour that I ever did nationally was the Sean Paul tour for like the, and it sold out in 24 hours across Canada. Whoa. Right? That must've been a good feeling. So, Oh my God, dude, like dude, insane. <laughs> and, and it's funny because that was my first real foray into like doing a concert tour. And it was like, it was like the first time you try drugs, right? It's like, you try to get that high again. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the floodgates open and it was like, shit, now you had fabulous is uh, ludicrous calling you this guy calling you that guy calling you remember BET came out. So one in six and park was a thing. So then nope. I, then I started calling artists next, you know, I'm bringing up gin from one Oh six and park. First time you ever did a show was in Toronto. Oh, nice. Like we were okay. part of the culture. Like we were that age, we were there. So like anytime there was an artist that was hot, and it's a small world. So then I would call this guy from New York, that guy from Detroit, this guy from LA. And then it just kind of, and at the time hip hop was very like, there was nobody in Canada doing it. You either came to Toronto or Vancouver or maybe Montreal. Yeah, maybe Montreal. I was just maybe. gonna say that, yep. Right? So then I was yeah. like, well, fuck that. Because I was touring Baby U, I had guys in Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatoon, Regina, Winnipeg, uh, Halifax. So then I started, teaming up with them and doing these tours across Canada. And then I would go to these conferences in the States. Like you, you, I got really lucky where you had to be accepted into these music conferences. And I would go, dude, I'm telling you, bro, I'd be sitting next to Jay-Z and he's playing cards with like Lear Cohen. What and, the fuck? and I'm sitting there with baby you. And there's only like 200 people in the whole room. And TI is standing 20 feet from us talking to little Wayne. It was insane, bro. That is fucking insane. crazy. So I'm That's out there. As a fan, you're going crazy, but like you got to play the role. You got to pretend like you don't care, right? You're just like, right? Oh, you know, uh -huh. you're like, oh, God. So, <laughs> so, you know, if you're in that room, you automatically earned your stripes in some way, right? So, yeah. I had a friend of mine who got me into the conference. It was called the Mix Show Power Summit. And I went out and just started connecting with people. And then you bump into a couple artists, you know, and then, oh, this guy, you know, this guy was here, this guy was there. Oh, that guy remembers me. So then they see that, oh, this guy's legit. 
and then you're just getting other everyone's contact and then it just kind of it just blew up and you know if, you know you know this back in like the early mid 2000s like for those of the the pre drake era mm-hmm. yo ludicrous fabulous like 106 like that shit was popping so yep. you know you were paying artists back then 100 200 000 like you are now you're paying them 10 20 30 40 grand it was like a lot more uh, affordable wow that's it well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it depended on who it was. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but yeah, and then, and then, and then it's a small world. And then you become Neil Canada, Neil from Toronto. And then you get calls like, yo, he's Neil from Canada. Yo, I got you. <laughs> right. And then it, it just blows up and you just run with it. So I was really the first national hip hop concert promoter, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, like Jonathan Ramos, who's my boy, he only did Toronto. He didn't go mm-hmm. outside of Toronto. Right. Hey. And G-Man and Rift, they just did Vancouver and they that was just a side gig for them because they actually own like big businesses. So it was like, you know, Ricky D, he just did Montreal. So I brought it all mm-hmm. together when I would like either sell them the show or I would partner with them on the show or I would just go in and do the show and pay them to like depended on the deal. But yeah, and I just took it national and I that, that's how I got into like doing all these concert tours. What's the biggest price tag you've ever had on a, or like had to pay for an artist? Or, or know of an artist getting paid to do a show? I mean, I don't know off the top of my, I, like I've literally done like over a thousand shows. So it's really hard for me to think of like what my biggest like personal, like what I paid an artist, but it's definitely like a few hundred grand. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, like Rihanna, J. Cole, um, the Black Eyed Peas, like those guys were six figures. Uh, actually Luda in 2003 was six figures. He was a hundred grand US. But at the time, the exchange rate was like 150 Canadian. Um, oh. I'm trying to think of like, I don't know if there's one artist that stands out where I was like, yeah, that one was the most. But I mean, like, like I can tell you, like, I know for a fact what these guys get paid. I mean, Drake ain't taking less than a million on a show. Like, right. and, that's, and that's like low end, like a night. Like he, like, Man. like a how night. long of a set? How long of a set would that be? It's, it depends. He, he, I know this. He'll do shows that are like, Yo, we want you to do this kind of show, and he'll take a million dollars for sixty minutes, bro. And it won't even be a full production; it'll just be him and a DJ, and maybe a—I don't know—like it's a—it's a scaled-down show. It's not like a tour. It's like if it's like a spot date, which is what they would call a one-time show. Yeah. Spot date, and he'll be like, his price will be like a million. That's even if he feels it. Like, if he's not sure, it'll be like one and a half U.S. Oh man, I am in the wrong line of work. Yeah. Holy fucking shit. Yeah, dude. I mean, like the shit we did, like I had people calling me. This is what I'm saying, man. Like I had dudes calling me up just to do a, they wanted to, like I had guys call me just to meet with an artist and they would pay me 10, 20 grand just to meet an artist for half an hour so they could give them the demo. So I'd be like, connections. what's that? Because it's all about connections. Well, listen, there's guys out there that are, listen, I had, when I did Justin Bieber, I had this guy call me and he offered me $5,000 for his daughter to sing a song before Justin Bieber went on. Wow. Wow. And I took it straight up. I'm like, you, the guy was rich. I don't even remember whose daughter was. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll let your daughter do two songs. You pay me 5,000 cash. And she has to go on at 7.30. The show didn't start till nine. Half that room was empty. I had another guy pay me 20. I, I had people pay me 20 grand just to open up on tours. And they would pay their own costs across the country. And I never, and I never asked for money. Like I never said, you pay me. I never started that. People would offer it to me. And I was like, well, what am I, an idiot? Why would I say no? Oh, shit, you'd be a damn fool to say no. So right? it got, it got, people were just so anxious or so desperate or just, or, or just so eager to get on 
And it got to the point, Amy, where like people would just say how much to get on. But I was never a guy like that. I always wanted to help develop artists. Mm -hmm. Like you can ask Rochester. I put him on to open up for Kanye West on the college dropout tour just because he was my homie. And I was like, yo, you're a dope artist and you've got, you've got, you've got a vibe going. You just want the flow thing and you're easy to work with. Like, I just wanted to put him on. Same thing with my friend JB, like JB opened up on a bunch of tours for Joel Santana and for the game and other artists and Busta Rhymes. I never made him pay me. I was like, yo, you're a nice guy. You're easy to work with. You're a good artist. And you're like, it's simple. I want to help you out. But then mm -hmm. come like the late 2000s, like 2008, 9, 10, it got to the point where people were calling me from different cities in Canada. And they were just like, yo, I hear you're the guy to do this tour. I'm like, yeah. They're like, listen, I got an artist. Da, 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 da. How much? It got to the point where I did one show in Toronto and I had three partners on the show and they each, I guys, I'm not even joking. Swear mm -hmm. in my life. <laughs> my three partners on the show, they're still my friends to this day. They each had two artists each that wanted to pay 25 to $3,500 each to perform. We were going to wow. make like 25, $20, $25,000 just in opening acts in one city. Oh, I, wow. had to, you know, I said, no, I was like, listen, guys, one artist each. And I said, and in good faith, just tell them it's 2,500. Let's not try to squeeze these guys mm -hmm. like $2,500. They'll get to do the Toronto show. And you guys each get one artist. So we had three opening acts. I, I never like to do more than two opening acts, but we had three opening acts this night, $2,500 each, but we could have easily gotten 20, $25,000 in one city just off of opening acts. Like the money just started. People just willing to throw money. Mm hmm that's fucking insane. And you mentioned before, you know, you could be somewhere where like, you know, Jay-Z's over there, T.I.'s over there. And if you're inside, right, you're geeking the fuck out, but you got to act right, right? You're, you're, there's a reason you're there. I remember the first time, well, the only time I went to the, the MMA Awards, I worked for a place called MMA Religion at the time, and that <laughs> outlet got nominated as Journalist Outlet of the Year or whatever. But it doesn't matter. It's always going to be wherever Ariel Helwani is. But right. fuck it. I was a writer there. I got to go. I'm fucking going. I'm going to have a fucking blast. And once it became time to go there, I remember, um, I'm sure you know J.D. Ares. That's my guy, bro. I'll tell, you, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a funny J.D. Ares story. He's actually one of my favorite artists back in the day, for sure. He's, I think he's the best rapper to ever come out of Canada, man. I've known Ares for a long time. He's fucking incredible. But yeah, so I was kind of freaked out and I asked era, I was like, yo, so like, this is going on da, 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 da. and he's like, there's a fucking reason you're in that room, man. Act like it. Cause you're at the MMA awards. Everyone is there. Right. And I was like, Whoa. So have you uh, been in one of those situations though with musicians and you know, it's like, Holy shit. I can't believe there's people around me. And then it goes a step further and you're engaged in a conversation with like a Jay-Z or someone like that. I'll tell, you the dope, I'll tell you the dopest story of my life. Yes, this is what I like. All right. Um, I was in London, England. I used to work closely with Lupe Fiasco. In fact, the first tour he ever did outside of the United States was in Canada. And on his album, his first album, Food and Liquor, he shouts me out at the end of the album. So oh, I shit. had a good relationship. Oh, with I love him. Lupe. Yeah, I had a good yeah, relationship yeah. with him. So he was doing a show out in London, England with Jay-Z, oh. opening for Jay-Z at this place called Royal Albert Hall. My cousin, yeah, yeah. So my cousin's a big Jay-Z fan. So Lupe, I ended up booking a, a show with Lupe out in London, England with some guys I knew out there. So my cousin was like, yo, can we go out? Can I come with you? 
you know? And I'm like, yeah. So I called Lupe and I'm like, well, his manager, Jason at the time. And I'm like, yo, if I rolled out, can you get me two tickets to the show? Maybe some backstage kick it. He goes, yeah. He goes, there's just need. It's, it's, we're three of us. I'll get you two extra tickets. Mm-hmm. Boom. We fly out to London, England. I get to London, England. I had just done a show a couple of years earlier with Nas and I somehow get a message from Nas's manager who's having trouble. This is fucked. My cousin <laughs> works in the cell phone space. And okay. this is back in like early 2000s, mid 2000s. My cousin had grown to have a friendship with Nas's manager over Blackberries back in the day. So Nas's manager had messaged me saying he's having a problem with his phone. He's in London, England, and he needs to talk to my cousin. He needs his number. So I'm like, bro, I'm in London with my cousin. What are you talking about? <laughs> so long story short, he's 10 minutes away from where we were. We meet up for lunch. So we're sitting at lunch and his manager and Green Lantern are there and they're telling us about, or LES at the time, they're telling us about Nas is in town perform with Jay-Z that night. So mm. I'm like, wait, I go, what are you talking about? I'm in town. Lupe Fiasco is opening up. They're like, well, some shit's going on and it's really fucking weird. So mm. I'm like, all right, cool. So as I'm doing that, zip, zap, zoom, I get another message from Rick, from the VP of the record label who's in town with Rick Ross. And she was messaging me about an event I was doing in Toronto a month earlier. She's like, I'm in London right now. I'll message you when I get back next week. I'm with Rick Ross. We have a show tonight with Jay-Z. So now my head's racing. I'm like, Ross, Lupe, Nas, what the fuck's going on? Mm-hmm. So now I'm starting to figure something out. LES and Nas's people are like, yo, the sound check was top secret. We weren't allowed to do anything. Something's up. Something's really fucking weird, right? Mm-hmm. So... Long story short, not to draw the story out because it actually is the most gangster. It will be, it is the most gangster story ever. Okay. I end up, get, just to save a good 10 minutes of the story, I end up getting two front row tickets to the show, like dead center. Okay. Oh. So we're there and all of a sudden Jay-Z comes out, right? And then, and then Nas comes out and then I see a guy playing the piano and, and he had a hood on and I'm like, yo, and it was Chris Martin from Coldplay. Whoa. And then he was married to Gwyneth Paltrow. So then she comes out and she can sing. And then Beyonce comes out. So you got Nas, Chris Martin, Gwyneth Paltrow, Jay-Z, Beyonce, all on stage just going off, right? <laughs> That's not even the best part of the story. So the show ends. And I get a call from Nas's people. They're like, oh, yo, are you hitting the after party? I'm like, what after party? This is the spot. Lupe calls me, yo, you come to the after party. What after party? This is the same after party. So I don't know London. I've only been there for like 48 hours, 72 hours if I'm lucky. I've never been there before. And if you've been there, there's a lot of alleys and laneways. And we're just like running randomly. And I'm going up to strangers. And I'm asking them where this venue is or where the street is. And I was with my cousin. And I had two friends from Belgium that showed up that came in from Belgium to come hang out with us. We're running through the streets. And I lost my cousin. And I lost one of my friends from Belgium. Like I couldn't find them. So I'm running through the streets, my phone's blowing up and it's, it's Lupe and it's, it's Nas's people. They're like, yo, bro, we can't wait. We're here. Like we're going in. Mm-hmm. I finally see the venue and it's, it's in the middle of this long street and the street is just like this little laneway. And there's like a thousand people outside and I'm sweating, bro. I've been running for like 20 minutes. I'm sweating. I'm, I'll never forget. I was wearing army cargo shorts and a white Sean John shirt. <laughs> And, and I get to the front of the club and I'm with one of my friends from Belgium and the bouncer says, ladies and gentlemen, nobody else is getting in tonight. The club is closed. We're closed. And he goes, except you, sir, hurry up. And he points to me, pulls me in with my boy. 
Uh-huh. So my boy looks at me and goes, yo, what the hell? I go, bro, just keep walking and act like you belong. Yeah. So as we walk, these two models hand us these VIP bracelet things over our neck. We walk in. The club was two stories below. So we go downstairs and the club was a rectangular shape. And it was nothing special. It was just like a little club for like three, 400 people. It wasn't anything crazy. Forget mm-hmm. the name of the club. So at the end of the club when you walk downstairs at the end there's a stage and on the stage is like la reed naomi campbell like now other celebrities showed up to this after party right yeah well obviously the back of the room was kind of empty because everyone was kind of pushed up by the front but it wasn't a stage to perform it was the vip area right so mm-hmm. my buddy from belgium was like yo bro like we gotta get up there and i'll be honest i was just like i don't have the energy to fight to get in the vip mm-hmm. and my cell phone wasn't working because we were two stories below ground and I lost mm. my cousin and his friend. So I'm thinking like, bro, we can't really stick around here much. Like we got to find our people. Well, my buddy's like, please, let's go. Let's go. So I'm like, all right, fine. Let's go. As we walk to the VIP, they pull us up. Lupe sees me. Nas's manager sees me. They pull us up in the VIP. Bro, I'm in this VIP that could be no bigger than like your bedroom. You know, maybe a little bit bigger <laughs> than the bedroom, how big it is. And I'm literally rubbing yeah. elbows with like, like just everybody everybody and anybody like vvv vip like jay's looking at me like you good i don't know jay he's like, you good man I'm like yeah jay. Oh. so my my buddy's looking at me he's like bro what's going what's going on right now neil i'm like dude <laughs> i don't, I don't know, know. <laughs> then we leave so after about 10 minutes we leave and i'm like listen man i go look i we got to get back up there like it, we have no cell phone service it's been it's not good so we get upstairs swear my life my cousin and my other buddy from Belgium that we lost, they're standing outside, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I look at them and I'm like, I told you guys to follow me. Even though none of us knew where we were going, there was no point in following, not following me because without me, you weren't getting it. So you, because because what happened is when we didn't know where to go, mm-hmm. they, they thought we were supposed to go left and I went right and you know, we kind of split up. So anyways, long story short, this is this crazy night. And then just as we're about to walk away from the club, this car pulls up. And it goes, excuse me, sir, um, your car's here for you. I'm like, what the fuck? And this brand new, like, Mercedes limousine pulls up and drives me back to my hotel. The whole time, my friends are like, bro, you got front row tickets to the hottest show. You got a VIP here. You got all this. Like, what the fuck? That was the one time where I was just like, you just act like you belong, bro. Like, just act like you belong. You know, like, just just go with it. Yo. Right. You know? oh, guys, so that, insane. That was, yeah, that was one of my that was one of my favorite moments. I mean, I the story's crazy. I didn't even tell you the like the crazy parts. It's too long of a story, but like it, it got crazy, like crazy, um, mm-hmm. in terms of during the day. But it was it was a, it was a really one of those moments where you're just like either either I belong here or like act like I belong here. But either way, I was overwhelmed. I was like, holy shit, this is dope, right? Yeah, man, it's it's such a crazy experience too, right? Like, how many people can ever fucking say? You know what I mean? Obviously not that exact same thing because you'd have to be there that night, but just even shit like that, right? Like it's a great story and everything, but then you're in the VIP, Jay's making sure you're good, a car <laughs> comes to pick you up. Like, you know, you can change the details, but you're not even going to get close to a fucking story like that. That is, um, that is such a fucking I, 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 I will say that I have been very fortunate with the experiences I've had. Like I mentioned, like yeah. I was, you know, I was at the Mix Show Power Summit for three years. And for those people that may know that, Fest, that conference it was 300 djs and music industry people and like the whole back in the day before there was streaming and all that djs were the ones that broke artists mm-hmm. so what would happen is all the record labels def jam interscope you know 
AM, Warner, like all of them would put in like a couple hundred grand each. Plus they would fly in all the artists and like Def Jam would do a showcase on the beach in the Bahamas for like 200 of us. And it would be like Dipset and Kanye and Jay. And there's like 200 of us on a freaking beach. Like things that you never thought of. You're like, how the hell did I get here? You know, like it was insane mm-hmm. that you were being invited to these things. So I, I, I've been very fortunate in some of the experiences that I've been able to sort of have. And I don't take those for granted, you know, but you, you know, you're in those rooms where Jay-Z's playing. Literally, my baby you and I were talking about a year ago, like Jay-Z, Lear Cohen, and some other guys were playing poker right next to us. That's so fucking crazy. And, and you, you know just got to pretend, and you just got to pretend like you don't give a fuck, but you're really like wanting to play with them. And like, you know, <laughs> it, yeah, it it's like, you know, Jay is one thing and I'm not saying one's above the other, but especially when you add Lear Cohen to the mix, right? That's not Jay Bleak. Bleak would be cool as fuck, but Lear Cohen, like Lear that guy Cohen. is, that's a Steve Rifkin type. Dude, we were, we were, it, it was just, I mean, like, yeah, those days were crazy back then. That's when the labels had so much money and there were, there was, I remember one night, so in order to get into this one resort, so every year they moved it to a different Caribbean island, Bahamas, uh, Puerto Rico, Dominican. So one year, I think we were in Puerto Rico and they would, re- they would rent out these resorts and they would seclude them and they would have security around the resort so nobody could get in because it was very top secret. And then one night they would let us go off the resort and they would do a showcase in the city, right? They would rent out a venue and we would do this kind okay. of like showcase. And, and, uh, and, and so I remember... Imagine like, guys, I'm not kidding. This is the funniest story ever. We, we were at this resort and you've got all the guys I mentioned, Cash Money, Little Wayne's there, like just everyone you could think of. Eminem is there performing that night with Dr. Dre for 300 DJs. It was nuts. Dude. Like I'm not, this is like Google. I just, I've got to Google the Mix Show Power Summit because it ended in 2006 or seven. But at the time it was the biggest industry thing for DJs. And there was no Canadians there. It was Baby You, me and a couple other Canadian dudes. Scratch wasn't, there was, it was really no Canadian DJs, but anyways, we got in and I remember we were on this resort. Imagine having for four days, 300 of these guys I mentioned mm-hmm. and no women and no women. Oh like, dear. The oh only women God. that were there, <laughs> the only women that were there was like, a like, like Car- Carrie Hilson was there waiting in line in front of me, telling us that she was signed to Timberland. We didn't know who she was a year later. It's Carrie Hilson, but like she was, there, <laughs> she was there performing. Right. And so anyways, unless they were performing, there was no women. So tell me why the Saturday night we get this message that there's a special last minute party. And I forget the guy's name. He was one of the head record label guys from LA, like top dogs. I forget his name. He brought in 200 women from Puerto Rico capital. That's the biggest pimp in the world. I will never forget this. Every guy in there was obviously excited. Uh, even before the girls came, they were like, oh, right? <laughs> Tell me why all you saw, I swear to God, guys, imagine like five or six busloads, like Greyhound busloads of the hottest Spanish women you've ever <laughs> being bussed in to party with Jay-Z and all of us. Like, and, and, and oh. you didn't even have to be somebody recognizable. If you were in this resort, you were good. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, like 200 women ended up just showing up the last night to hang. Wow. The record label just paid them all hundreds of dollars times 200. So yeah, it was was pretty crazy. It was pretty crazy. Yo, Amy, have you not asked him Uh about a certain guy? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Amy might might be the big... Oh, go ahead, Amy. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What are you going to say? 
to say, Amy might be the biggest Eminem fan in the world. I don't know how she hasn't asked you if you've had any interaction with him yet. I, I so my interaction with him is very minimal. The only interaction I've had on a personal level is he was at that conference performing, and he was very quiet and secluded to himself. Right. So, yeah. To be fair, he is the same that I've ever seen on TV and the media. I mean, I don't know much about him, but I know he lives remote outside yep. of Detroit in his little thing, and that's that's how his vibe was. He wasn't rude. Wasn't outgoing. Just chill. I didn't go out of my, and again, you have to belong. So right. I didn't, I'm a guy like, I'm not going to go up to you unless I have a purpose. I can't just walk up and yo, am I'm a big fan. You know, like I was kind of like trying to, <laughs> right. 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 Um, it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like what I tell people with Drake, like Drake used to call me to put him on shows and I put him on shows and him and JD era opened up for pretty Ricky. And then pretty Ricky, <laughs> pretty Ricky. <laughs> and, and they were being dicks and they wanted to go on early. So I had to cut Drake's set before he went on. So Drake was there waiting to go on and I had to cut his set. So he never even performed because Pretty Ricky didn't want to wait for Drake to perform back in 2006. Like, oh. But like, yeah, like M, M just did his performance. I really don't remember seeing him much other than just kind of being in the cut, just out right, of the right. in. That's and, not surprising. <laughs> and the only other real interaction I had with M in terms of like, not M, but like I toured D12 and like I knew Proof and Bizarre and all those guys. <laughs> this is before Bizarre uh, Proof died. And they got they got into a really big situation here in Toronto where they got in a massive fight with a bunch of gangsters that I knew. And they and Proof. proof this is stuff. a story. Wait, we need to hear this one from the beginning. Yes. Well, I did D12 back in like whenever, like their last album, probably. I don't know. I'm guessing, but it was before Proof passed away. And I did, mm -hmm. I did this shady, uh, my friend had the shady clothing brand in Canada and we did a couple shows. I brought D12 in and everybody, I never lied. I never promised it. I didn't hint it, but everyone thought M was coming on the show. I mean, he's mm -hmm. part of D12, but I digress. Yeah, well, you're, I, Amy's very bitter that he didn't come. But yeah, <laughs> hey, right. I've seen, I, I know the D12 guys. I've seen Eminem plenty, but I'm just yeah. saying they are kind of a package deal, especially well, right. when Proof was still alive. You're a hundred percent right. But it was always made explicitly clear to me that M will not be coming unless he wants to, but right. there was yeah. like a 1% chance he'd come. And I never sure. wanted to make any promises. So the mark we had, the artwork we had was a, you know, templated design they gave us and wasn't on it. So they made it very clear not to make any insinuations. And I did, but the show mm -hmm. sold out. So after the show, I used to run nightclubs at the same time. It was a Thursday night. I'll never forget this. So I set D12 up at this club I used to run in Toronto called Tonic. And they went out to Tonic and- You used to run that place? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, go, go on, I don't interrupt. I've been drunk I there mean, many I times. I've stories about Drake and when he opened up for the clips at Tonic back in 2009. Um, so it's funny him and Pusha T have a beef, but he opened up for them. Anyways. Yo, I even thought about that when you said clips. Oh, shit, eh? Okay, sorry, so, sorry, go on. I don't want to- well, So anyways, I, I you know, it was show was over. We had sold out show. It's two o'clock in the morning and I'm eating Chinese food on King Shu with or Spadine with a couple of friends. And I get a call from this like serious gangster dude I know and he's yelling, but I can't make out what he's saying. So somebody grabs his phone. It's one of his buddies. And he's like, bro, where are they staying? Like, where are they staying? They're dead. They're dead. They're dead. And I don't know what he's, I had no clue what he's talking about. So he's like, what happened? Wait, what, what year was this? When did Proof die? Um, I'll tell you why. Because we actually thought Proof. I actually thought my friend had something to do with Proof's death, to be honest with you. Great. Fantastic. Fuck your friend. Go ahead. <laughs> well, he didn't have anything to do with him. So. Well, um, for good measure, anyway. 
Um, so whatever year he died, it was like a year or two before he died. I don't know what year, like oh five, okay. oh six, around there. Yeah. So, anyways, he died in two thousand six. So it was April eleventh. But go on. When did he die? Two thousand six. So it would have been oh five, the summer of oh five, that this happened. It was a year before. Okay. Within a year of him passing. So, anyways, long story short, my buddy went to go say hi to prove. My guy was a, this guy was a serious dude, mm. and he was just being nice to prove because this guy actually was one of those gangster guys who wanted to be in the entertainment industry. So he was like, yo, blah, blah, blah. Proof said, proof was drunk. Proof said something. This guy said something. Proof said something. My other buddy said something and proof punched this guy in the face. When punch, when proof punched this guy in the face, he broke his jaw. It dislocated my friend's jaw. Oh. And like this guy at the time was like a big deal in the city. He was a serious gangster. I mentioned that multiple times. So like it turned into a thing where 20 guys beat the shit out of D12 on in tonic and on the streets to the point where the bouncers literally were jumping on proof and the other guys so that the all these other guys didn't beating them up. Because back in those days, if you remember, Jason, there was tonic at the corner and there was system sound bar and system sound bar had a pretty rough crowd on Thursdays. So this, this crew of guys just had a bunch of guys that knew them. Like there's probably 30 guys out there and they, so they just jumped D- uh, D12, beat the crap out of them, and they're all getting beat up. So D12's manager at the time was actually from Toronto. Um, Which, who was their manager at the time? Andre, my buddy Andre. He's now mm-hmm. passed away. So Andre passed away, He, you know, natural causes, but he was originally from Toronto, and he had, um, he was, you know, on the road. So they're calling me, where are these guys? I know you brought them, what hotel are they staying at? So I'm like, oh, man, now I'm going to get pulled into this. So I lied. I was just like, look, man. I don't book their hotels. I just give them the money. We don't know what I'm lying. I'm just making it up. So as I'm saying this, you know, I'm trying to figure it out what, what to do because I'm kind of put on the spot. So what I did is I lied to my friend. I go, look, I go, they usually stay here. And I told them a hotel at a separate, completely separate end of downtown. But they had a big tour bus that was wrapped. So it's not hard to find a massive tour bus at some right. point. And so... <laughs> I mean, as big as Toronto is, there's only five at the time. This is before there was like a Ritz. It was before there was a Shangri-La. It was before there was, you know, these high-end hotels. There's only two or three high-end hotels. So you knew they were staying at one of three places. So I'm calling Andre at like three in the morning. I'm like, Andre, do you trust me? I knew him for a while. He's like, I trust you. I said, you got to get the fuck out of town. I'm like, bro, I'm telling you, like proof broke the jaw of the wrong guy. And I'm telling you, like, they're not joking around. And I told them to go to this hotel. I've probably bought you guys about 20 minutes, maybe 30. 3.30 in the morning, D12, ducked it out of town. And they knew it was real because the fight in the club, they, they saw what happened. Like the bouncers saved them and literally were calling the police to get them to the hotel. And, yeah. and, and then I was able to kind of explain to them, like, guys, you just, I don't know what happened. I still didn't really know what happened. I found it afterwards. It was so bad that the guy whose jaw he dislocated, just to give an example, called me a couple weeks later and said, how much did you pay D12 for the show? And I was like, I think at the time it was like 25, 30 grand. And he was like, tell them I'll give them $60,000 to do a show in Toronto. No. (laughs) And he was serious. I said, no. And I was like, listen, I go, no, dude, I'm not doing that. Don't get me involved. It's done with blah, blah, blah. And then about a, about, about a year later, he passed away. And then I was thinking about my mind. I'm like, this guy still hold up this grudge and do something in Detroit. He did, obviously. But 
yeah that was that was my like d12 story that was like Fuck. yeah i mean it wasn't quite m but yeah um the uh there's a documentary called hip-hop uncovered <laughs> and it's about like uh uh bimmy uh big you basically street dudes who have helped rappers get on you know what i mean and so you mentioned you know you know these people they're pretty serious people i'm sure you know other people they're pretty serious people especially if that's add to it you grew up in scarborough in the 80s i'm sure you know serious motherfuckers from your childhood in specifically the hip-hop industry is do you kind of almost need some street dudes to get yeah. things done dude, not, not necessarily to muscle people through but to walk into dude. certain neighborhoods and do certain things dude, you need 100%. to say 100 yeah. percent. i mean look why do you think drake walks around with the with the galloway guys i mean it's well it's well documented like i know that story i don't want to talk his business but like there's a reason yeah. with the galloway guys and cream and those guys like i know drake from 06 i know him pre before that there's a reason why Drake needed to have that street cred. And there's a reason why Drake can walk these streets in Toronto now because he's got street cred and he's got now the money to hire professional credibility. But dude, I had guys roll up in my office. I had guys try to extort me. You know what I mean? Because I was, I was taking all the hip hop shows in Toronto and I need to share. So I'm not sharing the artists. I need to share my money. Whoa. So what do you say in this instance? I'm like, like yeah, that. no problem. I'll call you right back. I got some, I, you can talk to my partner about that and see like, I'm not a dumb guy. I banked a lot of I banked a lot of credit with a lot of people. So I know how to treat yeah. people. See, a lot of gangsters would come to my parties. All they wanted was to walk right in and have a nice booth. That's it. They pay for their drinks. They didn't yeah. want any punk. Uh -huh. They just want to know that I showed them that respect. When I you don't think that half the club owners in this country at some point were gangsters or bikers or some sort of organized crime. Bro, I used to run the biggest shows in Montreal for 10 years. I could tell you stories about I could tell you stories about some guy threatening one of my partners, and I called this guy in Montreal. Next thing I know, two Italian mobsters in an SUV pulled up and picked up my partner and said, "We're your security for the day." I mean, oh. I got stories for day. I could write a novel on just my interactions with organized crime, which I won't. But I, <laughs> good but idea. Reality, that's the reality of the world. At some point, and not everyone's like that. There's a lot of credible people, but you know what? One thing I'll tell you with all those gangster guys I dealt with. Because I did fair and equitable business, even when I lost money, they were okay with it. They were like, you know mm -hmm. what, bro? You didn't lose money because you're an idiot. You, we, you lose sometimes. You, you win and you lose. So I always made sure not to do things. You know, like I made sure how I moved. Like I never got in that world. But mm -hmm. I knew who was who. I knew, I knew which guy was a triad, which guy was an Italian mobster. I knew which guy was a biker. I knew which club owner was a hothead and I didn't want to work with. I've gone into my fair share of scenarios where I've had to like think quick and have to navigate through, but I was always lucky that I always built equity and I never asked people for anything. So the two or three times I needed a favor, it was more like, listen, bro, I need a favor. This guy, I don't know even who he is. He's calling me and he's threatening me saying that he da 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 da. Can you just let him know that you're with that? I'm good. And a lot of mm -hmm. these gangster guys, they like to flex their muscles. So they're like, give me his number. Boom. So then, I'll, and then these guys know each other. So I'll just, I won't even have to give the number. I remember one time I was like, listen, my partner's going to call you. You might know his name and I will drop the name. And I'm like, I just gave him your number. He's going to call you. I'm just going to give him your number. He's going to call you. Now we're good. He doesn't need to call. So listen, that's real shit. So when you talk about walking around, be it, listen, you know, we talk about Toronto and Scarborough and Rexdale and Jane. Like, I mean, there's bad areas in the States and Canada, every city, like, you know, you go to Halifax and you go to the wrong area, you're going to get fucked up. I've seen Fuck it. yeah. Fuck yeah, man. Halifax is way worse than people fucking think. No, go to Winnipeg. You go to Saskatchewan, bro. Like I've still Winnipeg's horrible. Winnipeg is, that's the you comp into Canada. 
Yeah, man. Like, you know, so I, I mean, look, you just got to know how to move in every city and, and, and align with the right people. But at the same time, like not overcommit yourself. You know, yep. I had a lot of gangsters try to buy shows with me and partner with me. And I was like, nah, I'm good, bro. Like, I'm good. Like, yeah, I, And you're I, in bed with them, right? You're, it's, yeah, man. It's so too close. I was really lucky. I was close enough to them, but I kept them at a distance. But at times it's, you know, they own the nightclub or the venue in the city that you're going to and you got to work with them. As long as I know I'm going in there where there's a deal where unless they're really going to go and screw me, like, I'll be okay. So like, look, you keep the bar. I'll take the door. I'll do the show. Well, they can't steal my money if I sold the show in advance, right? Because there's yeah, no money, yeah. you know. Um, and then they don't want to, they don't want to lose me coming back and doing more shows. If I'm going to do one or two shows a month there. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you, you build that, but yo, like I had guys in Toronto, I could tell you some stories where I had dudes like in Toronto, like roll up in my office, you know, questioning me like, yo, blah, 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 blah. But I'm not a, like, I'm not, listen, I'm not a punk. Like I would tell them like, yo, you're coming here for a reason. So you came here unannounced. You don't know me and you're trying to ask me, ask me questions. So are you here to do something? Cause you're mm -hmm. going to do it. Let's do it. Like I, I, I wouldn't back down and sometimes they'd be shocked, you know? And like, not, it always, it always ended on good terms. It, it didn't end on me. Like I'm not a gangster, bro. I'm not a thug. I don't walk around with a gun. So I wasn't sitting there flexing saying like, yo, come on, I'll kill you. <laughs> but I would tell them, I'd be like, bro, you don't know me. We're not friends. You walk into my office unannounced and start asking me questions. Does this look yeah. like the way you should handle things? You know what I mean? So but no, dude, I had, I had a couple guys try to extort me back in the day. You know, wow. even one of my one of my old partners that I started substance with actually got kidnapped. Who was all over the news? He got kidnapped, and they tried to extort him. Yeah, that was some shit. Yeah. Holy shit! Was it over something to do with substance or something different? Yeah, well, it, yeah, he had a separate company that did nightclub events, and I guess some of his competitors in that side of things tried to flex on him, right? And mm -hmm. then um, they sent these guys after him and they set him up and they kidnapped him and all this crap. And they were just trying to extort him. And then they did say to him, they were like, yo, we're, we're tell your partner, Neil, we want to talk to him because he's next. Now it never got to that. Oh. It never got to that because my partner ended up calling the police and the, there was a big sting. That's why it was on the news because they, there was a raid and they caught these guys and they all went to jail. And then uh, that happened where those guys tried to do that um and that that blew up in their face and then there was another time something happened but yeah man like it got it got a little bit you know it's it, there's been a couple of times where i thank god that i had enough grace and sense not to get too involved with people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know what yeah. i mean or, or cross the wrong guy the wrong way but it you know it's, it, i can see guys doing the wrong dude i've seen dudes you know there's a, when especially when you're dealing with gangsters bro like there's this false sense of power and you think you're something you're not i've seen it like i've seen promoters start to think like they are gangsters and i'm like bro you think you're a gangster because these guys come to your parties but those same guys come to my parties so like you're no you're no different than i am you just think now that you're this tough guy mm -hmm. at some time your card's gonna get called and i've seen it i've seen the crazy shit that's fucking wild is it is that also a thing like does that exist at all in the the justin bieber's or the rihanna's maybe not rihanna so much because i guess she was on rockefeller around gangsters and rappers and shit but no, like a justin bieber does that is that shit a thing in that kind of stack, you know, that pop music like that? Not yeah. at all, eh? Mainly hip hop, bro. Hip hop and reggae, yeah. I mean, it, 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 yeah, doesn't, reggae, it, I doesn't, see. it doesn't happen in pop. I mean, listen, for real, the, the gangsters in like the Bieber, Rihanna world are the guys in the record labels, you know what corporate I mean? Corporate gangsters? The corporate gangsters, bro. But they're just as, they're just as slimy because like, you know, they're, they're even worse because at least you know the guy in the street's not your boy and he might be coming for you. The guys, the corporate gangster will take you out and, and, and buy you gifts and make you feel like they're family and then they'll just fuck you, right? Yeah.
Yeah. And also with these these gangster elements, I mean, you're a businessman. Uh, but once you're in the hip hop world, it's like you, you don't call the cops. Right. So like you said, you know, your partner, you're in a position where you're fucking kidnapped. Your life's on the line. How can you hold that against someone? Well, but I, is that stuff you have to keep in the back of your mind? Like, yo, I can't be using police all the fucking time for this shit. Every threat, every every extortion attempt. Yeah, listen, he listen, I don't want to get too far down the story, but like, so when that happened, there was a I got a call from a guy one day and he was like, yo, he was like, I was at the barbershop and your name came up and some guys are, are making a move to come after you and they want to like extort you and they have you and two other guys on a list of people they're coming after that are kind of like exposed and that, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it was a serious gang at the time in Toronto that got taken down by the police. So there was like this massive bust, like this massive, like multi-million dollar bust. And those guys got taken down a couple months before they were supposed to come for me. And I remember when the police did the investigation of when my partner, my old partner got extorted, I asked the police, cause they came to my office one day and I was like, yo, I'm like, it was the gangs and guns task force. Right. And so mm-hmm. I asked the guy, I asked the dude, I said, yo, you know, this crew, blah, blah, blah. He goes, yeah, man. I was responsible for that whole investigation. I go, is it true that I was on some hit list that they were coming for me? He goes, yeah. He goes, I was going to tell you about that today. They were coming for you. Whoa. And, and what does that make you feel like when you hear that? You know what? I mean, part, I'll be honest with you. I mean, this is a long time ago. This was like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Part of me was like, I wish they would have. And see what happened. Now that's just my ego talking, right? Yep. Listen, I'm not a gangster. Yeah. And I'm not telling you I would have been able to shoot back at them, you know. And I'm, but I'm sure they weren't going to come for me one on one either. Nope. But part of me is kind of like, well, I wish they would have, and I would have called these guys, and we would have seen. <laughs> right? Like that's just that's just male ego, right? Yeah, but, absolutely. But then part of me is like, well, I'm glad it didn't. I didn't have. I'm glad that that didn't happen. Right. Even even if you made it out unscathed, it'd still be a fucking issue you don't need to deal with. Right. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. Look, I, I'm old enough now to look back. You know, we all do and say and this. And 15 years ago, I might have thought I was something more than what I was. I can look back now and say, look, I wasn't the smartest guy all the time. And I probably would have my ego might have got the best of me. But at times, yeah. and who knows? But yeah, look, man, I, I, I dodged a couple bullets. But again, that's that's listen. And I'll tell you guys. For all this name dropping I'm doing and for me telling you how I grossed seven million, like it, I'm not a millionaire. Like I didn't sit there and like I'm not caking in money. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not Rolls Royces and Ferraris in my driveway. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, I don't have, you know, a cottage in uh Muskoka or wherever hell. Like I'm I'm just a regular dude. I might have been able to do a little bit better than some, but like for all of that hard work and all of that, you know, it's like you have to watch out for people trying to extort you and like people robbing you and ripping you off and screwing you and artists canceling tours, bro. Like the game owes me a hundred thousand dollars. I'd sent them money. They never sent it back. You know, like, I mean, I've been, what? I haven't even, I haven't even talked about the times where artists just didn't pay us back money. Right. Wow. So the like, artists if, themselves fuck you over at times. Well, you know, and that's part of my fault. You know, the thing is you build personal relationships. Like I've been to games house in LA. I was the only guy to ever bring him to Canada. So you get into these levels of comfort where you're like, yo, that's my guy. So instead of sending money in escrow, yep. you just send it to him directly because that's the homie. Yep. Right. Yeah. And then, then the show doesn't have the tour gets canceled, not because of my fault, but for whatever reason, then the numbers change or you don't hear from them. 
You know, so I've been taking, bro, I, I've easily been taken for a couple hundred grand in, in deposits, probably 250 in deposits that I've never, money that I've never gotten back. Right. So that's a lot of money for, wow. a, for a guy like me. I didn't have investors. I didn't really have partners for a long time. I did for a bit, but like that's money out of my pocket. Like that's money that would pay off my mortgage. You know what I mean? Like, the, mm -hmm. so, so, you know, as much as I consider and brag about hanging out with Jay-Z and this and that, I mean, there's, you know, you kind of earn your dues. That's what people don't see. Right. But you earn those times when you have to sit here and literally be in tears because I did a game tour and he got turned away when he landed in Halifax. And I'm in Halifax doing a 10 city tour and all my partners across Canada are calling me and it's all over the news and the game's tweeting that they turned him away from Canada. My phone's about to die. Then my phone shuts off in Halifax and everyone thinks I'm dodging them. And you're waking up to everything from like death threats to people calling, telling you they're going to sue them. You know, now listen, I'm here 12 years later and I made it right with everybody. I called everybody back that night. I said, my phone died. I don't know what's going on, but I'll pay you back your money. And to be honest with you, I'm not a dummy. I actually didn't have to pay anybody back their money because I made them sign an agreement releasing me of any liability if there was an issue with the show. So technically, uh... technically I could have played that. But because I felt personal accountability that I sent the money to him directly instead of into an escrow account, I felt I owed it to people to pay them back. So I paid out of my pocket $120,000 to different people that I owed money to who were my partners across Canada. And to this day, some of those guys are still some of my closest friends because they know like your word is all you have, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't still be here standing fucking 12 years later if you know what I mean, you, possibly you could be, but if you're just like, Oh no, you know what? I'm not liable. And it's like, well, what about the fact that, you know, we know each other, we're friends. You're just going to leave me hanging out to dry. Fuck you signatures on the paper. Right. So you're doing a stand up thing before, uh, before we let you get out of here, let's touch a little bit on, on substance group. Cause I'm sure I could sit here for the next fucking 72 hours and <laughs> listen to you tell hip hop stories. I love hip hop. I've loved it since I was a kid in the fucking eighties. I heard run DMC come out. I lost my fucking mind and never looked back, man. So, uh, we're, we're never going to get out of here if we keep on these hip hops. Well, then I'll just tell you real quickly that the yeah. one show where I was a fan, where I sat there in awe, just so you know, because my daughter and I were talking about it like yesterday. Okay. Was the only show where I ever literally was like emotional mm -hmm. and where I literally was just like, I went to the artist like a fan to the point where he was like, okay, I get it, bro. You're a fan. Like, fuck off. Right? <laughs> was, uh, was, uh, and I've worked with Jay. I've done a show with Jay, Kanye. Like, I've done them all, right? Yeah. Big Daddy Kane was the only show where I was. Nice. Oh, he's fuck, man. Big, big, Big Daddy Kane is there. Uh, there would be no Jay Z, I don't think, without a Big Daddy Kane. Sure. Like Jay Z took so there may not much. Maybe not be an Eminem from, without a Big Daddy Kane. For, for, well, I mean, there wouldn't be a lot of rappers without a Big Daddy <laughs> Kane, but the way Jay took so much from Big Daddy Kane style, he didn't copy it, he didn't steal it. You know what I mean? It's like this new improved version. And I'm talking about Jay, like the, the 90s, early 2000s, that Jay, not, not the fucking crazy hair Jay we got going on now. Um, you know what? I'll tell but, you, yeah, man, that, that's... It took, me, it took me almost three years to get him in the country. Um, it was, there was a lot of challenges that were, you know, whatever. It was a lot of work to get him in. He had, there was a rumor going around years ago that he got AIDS and he gave AIDS to somebody in Toronto. There was, you know, <laughs> he had a criminal record from like a really stupid criminal record from like 30 years ago, but he had to go get FBI fingerprints and reports to do it. And he doesn't like the police because his brother was killed by the police. So he didn't want to do it. So I fought for three years to bring this guy here. I finally got him here, you know, and it was not even the day he came, it started snowing. Like it was just like everything to like make the show almost not happen. He had not been to Toronto in like 15 years. 
And so it was a big meaning for me because, you know, I grew up on, that was what really felt, I already loved hip hop, but that really was my guy. And there's a connection Toronto has to Kane that's hard to explain, you know, like he just had an influence on Toronto in the like 90s. So early, in the late 80s. Late 80s. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, he stops the show. Like literally I've never seen anything like this guy. So he gets on stage and he just walks because he's so calm. And the crowd, they just clapped for like two minutes. He didn't, the, no music. They just went clap and just, just there was this energy. So I told my staff, I'm like, don't bother me. When he's on the show, when he's performing, leave me alone. I'm going to be on the side of the stage. Leave me alone. And I remember starting to get like, no joke, like literally getting emotional. Like I was like starting to get like lumps in my throat, which is weird. I'm not even an emotional guy. And he goes, Mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen, he goes, I want you to thank the man that made this happen. And he goes, my man, Neil, come out here on stage. Oh, and I was like, and here I am like with literally crocodile tears. And I'm like, motherfucker, <laughs> motherfucker. Like, don't call me out like that. But anyways, I, I went out and I just thanked him. Oh. Like, I just went like that and I thanked him. I was like, yo, thank you, man. Just go, you know? But that was that was like a like really dope moment for me. That was like my big moment. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I really like stand-up comedy a lot. And there's a stand-up comedian named uh, Tom Segura. And one of his specials oh. probably, fuck, I don't know, seven, you know Tom Segura? There's one special when he's like, uh, I saw Big Daddy Kane in Los Angeles one time. By the way, if you don't know who Big Daddy Kane is, you can go fuck yourself. I love that. I love when he says that because it's like, yeah, I get how some people might not know who Big Daddy Kane is, but I feel the same way. If you don't know him, go fuck yourself. Yeah, man. He's, he's the shit, man. Yo, he let off a, uh, a freestyle, obviously written, but that doesn't matter. From uh, Funk Flex maybe two years ago and fucking incredible you know he's in his 50s and he is just destroying the fucking mic and and putting little shots in at at younger rappers and stuff how they're not him they will never ever fucking be him or be compared to him or in his caliber i love that shit man yeah kane was dope he was bro he was Mm, but anyway you were gonna ask me about substance group i believe yes um so with uh the pandemic obviously substance group what it started as and you know taking a look at the website the last few days it's a lot of virtual experiences and stuff like that did this pandemic force you to change your business structure oh 1000 percent. i mean look I've, I've been really lucky and i i said this before but like you know your reputation is all you have and without that i wouldn't have survived the pandemic you know i was primarily doing experiential marketing and like you know in-person marketing like you know events you know brand launches and that was what we were known for. And when the pandemic hit, everything got canceled. Like we lost a couple million dollars in business within two weeks. Every oh. freaking day we were getting a call, canceling, cancel, cancel, cancel. It was just insane. Like I, it was just one of those moments where it's like, imagine waking up every day and getting punched in the face two or three times. And going <laughs> Good morning. Boom, boom, boom. So anyways, <laughs> like I was saying earlier, like I, I really, that happened at the end of March. And then I kind of sat there trying to figure out what was going on in the month of April and May. Everything was just quiet, no calls. Everyone was trying to figure things out. But I'll be honest, it was a, I didn't even try to do anything. I just said, you know what, fuck this, man. I'm just going to take some time. Like, I'm just going to enjoy my dogs and my kids and reset and stop and figure it out. I mean, like, you know, I'm still young. I, I think I'm smart enough to get back on my feet. We'll figure this out. Made a couple of financial cha- changes with the business. And then just, I decided to go and do virtual events. I just gave it a shot and I started making some calls and emails and my clients were like, bro, let's go. We need help mm-hmm. we need to do virtual events. And, and I think a lot of the clients have said this and I know this, that they just had faith in me that I could deliver for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and truth, transparently speaking, I didn't really have much experience. I just threw it out there that I would do it and I had this service offering and clients were like, 
jumped on it right away. So mm -hmm. last year, we it, it's now become one of our big revenue streams within the company. Uh, and um, look, it, it's now an added revenue stream. Mm -hmm. you, know, I, you know, even though we're going back into the real world, it looks like there's still going to be some need at some point throughout the year Certainly. for virtual events. So we've now kind of perfected that. And look, the other thing that the pandemic really did is it allowed me to reflect on my business and the things that weren't working anyways, pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it allowed me to assess the business properly without being tied down day to day with making decisions based on finances or operations. And so I was able to kind of go back and reset and restart, not reset, well, almost in some ways, reset the company, make some mm -hmm. changes. And so I've made some sort of changes within the business that have proven to be amazing. And, you know, last year, 2021 was like, maybe our most successful year yet so Whoa. i went from nice. having good for you man i went from having my worst year ever in 2020 personally and professionally to having arguably my best professional year in 2021 so you know i i i i hate to say this but the pandemic was awful for a lot of people and it sucked for me for a good three four months easily but mm -hmm. it was also some it was also a blessing for me because i used it as a way to get to better myself and reflect and change a lot of things in my life and so i'm better for it now, I know everybody can't say that, and I feel bad saying that about myself. But you know, I just, yeah. I just try to make, I just, you know, I try to make lemonade out of lemons. I guess <laughs> that's fair. Uh, and like you said, you know, see, uh, the world's allowed outside. Well, especially fucking Ontario, Canada. We're starting to almost be allowed outside again. Um, and I'm not one of these persons like anti-vax, anti-mask. I'm, I'm, I'm more about choice, right? Like fucking. You know what I mean? Do 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 what you want to do. But if you walk into a place of business and I don't care if it's a convenience store, it says no shirt, no shoes, no service. That's their fucking business. That's Applied business. by what they say. Right. But I'm not going to fucking do what people want to do. Now, now, you know, it looks like we're going to be we're going to be off our, our grounding soon. So uh, are you going to be doing both then the virtual? Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Now that, now that you have master of both, would that only make sense now in your projections, your predictions? Do you think that that's going to not necessarily double, but increase revenue for your company a whole bunch when you're hitting both these markets? Oh, definitely. I mean, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, we were very, very successful last year with the virtual events. I, I don't see it being the same right now, but I, I think there'll be a need. I think that, especially, winter, I think, especially in the winter months, um, God forbid there's another pandemic. I hope not. Um, or a natural disaster, but we've now found use for zoom meetings and virtual. And yep. so I think it still will serve a purpose, maybe not as much as last year, but even if it's only 20 or 30% instead of hundred percent of the time or 90% mm -hmm. of the time. So I, yeah, it's, listen, I'm not going to abandon it. We'll continue to offer that as a service offering. I think the next six months, it's going to be, people are going to go batshit crazy. Um, yeah. I already know they are. I'm already dealing with some live events and some stuff happening across Canada where I'm already hearing festivals selling out already and record ticket sales and just crazy shit that's happening. You know, vendors can't even, we can't even find certain vendors because they're getting all these projects to build things for the summer. So I think it's going to be an insane summer. I think everyone's going to go crazy. And I think come October, November, when people are spent financially and physically, they'll probably yep. be like, okay, we'll sit back down in front of a desk for a virtual event. So yeah, I think it, it, it's, it's, it's even for me, like, dude, I didn't even know how to do an e-transfer online. I didn't do, online <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know how to do like zoom meetings. Not that it's hard, but I just didn't know, like I had staff. Yeah, he's never did it before. 
But like, you know, right. it forces you to do things. I mean, it's really easy to do. It took five minutes to learn, but you know, now I've learned a few new skills and a few new things to do. And, you know. With the, uh, the metaverse that's, you know, getting more popular every single day, is, is that something that you plan to get into with the virtual experience? I'm, I'm already kind of dabbling. I haven't done anything with the metaverse, but like NFTs and, and, and metaverse and that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it's part of the conversations almost daily. Right. Um, I kind of smirk when you mentioned it because it's funny because I'm working on a proposal right now for a client and it involves the metaverse. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, I want to be an, an, an old, I had a long conversation about the metaverse today with somebody explaining to them what the metaverse kind of is. And I'm like, it's not this, you know, anyways. So, I, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a necessary evil if I don't know if you want to call it that, but it's, it's, it's part of, you know, everyone's jumping into it, I guess. Yeah. It's what life is, what it's going to become, right? It's, it's another aspect. And for someone like you, uh, there, there's a batter rapper named Bill Collector we had on a while ago, and he's really <laughs> into this shit. And, uh, anyone I've asked explain metaverse to me, they're like, Oh, I can't explain it. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? That doesn't help. So he explained it a little bit, but like the one thing he, he really pointed out to me is, you know, in the future, you're going to see artists putting concerts on, on metaverse. And that's how you literally buy your ticket. It's it's already happened. I, not an artist making a concert, but there's been like raves and some festivals. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's but already it's, happening. It's yeah, but it's like very. It's like imagine the first party you went to it was shit. So like, <laughs> no booze, <laughs> no nothing. Well, yeah, I mean, like, it's still very limited and it's still very intimate. Yeah, I think some people are trying to run before they walk. But I mean, look, I think, I think it'll serve its purpose in some ways. I mean, you know. Um, it's cool. It's another toy for humans to have to play and explore. I mean, I don't know how far we're going to push the limits of technology and, and sort of all that stuff, but it, it's, it's a real thing. And it's, everyone seems to be jumping in and, and, and going it all in companies every day are mentioning or investing in it, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, it's just another thing that I've got to stay on top of. So I'm ahead of the curve or at least on top of the trends. Right. So, you know, I've got some pretty cool concepts with, with things that we want to present clients with the metaverse. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. It's funny because you, a lot of guys from the music industry that I was friends with 20 years ago, mm -hmm. they've been able to kind of pivot into this metaverse NFT or like they're using their entertainment stuff to do technology stuff. So uh, I've been able to sort of connect with a few guys that I've bumped into over the years that I worked with 15 years ago that are like running NFT companies, like big ones. Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, and, and, and metaverse companies and, and other technology things. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a real thing. It's, you got, you can't ignore it at this point. I'm not, the biggest, I'm not the biggest, by the way, I'm not the biggest adopter of technology. I still like to consider myself an old head. I'm cool with like old school shit, but yeah, like, yeah. I'm an 80s boy. Like I still love my, love my retro days, but like, you can't ignore it. I mean, it's just too big of a wave to ignore too big it. Of a force for sure. And I think I already know the answer to this especially after what you just fucking said. Uh, do you think, in your opinion, will virtual performances ever take over an in-person performance as the fan, as the consumer? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you know, it's an interesting question. I mean, I don't know. It's a really, that's, a really, that's a tough question to answer. I mean, I see merits for both, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I, I see merits for both, but I mean, again, I'm just going to go on my bias old school side. Like nothing beats the real thing. It right? doesn't, it doesn't, man. You show up with your fucking ticket and they rip the fucking stub what off. You go in, you get a drink, you get ready for the concert to start. Here's like that's well, here's, shit. The thing. here's the thing though, guys, hmm. we feel like that, but tell that to a 10 year old who's never had that experience. Exactly. When I grew up in a world where they could save half their money and have just as much of an experience, at least in their world. Mm -hmm. right 
Like our yeah. kids will never know the sound of vinyl or they may now, but I'm just saying like, there's certain things that they'll never understand. Mm -hmm. that you're like dude you're missing out so imagine in 20 years when you're trying to tell your kids what it was like to go to the Canada center to go to a live concert yeah smell like the sweat in the air of everybody <laughs> right? no shit and you and you're, you're fucking i know like you said you don't drink or anything like that but I was, you know you got a few drinks in you and there's you know you're there with your your group of people whatever and there's another group of people beside you that you don't fucking know they're like complete strangers but as the night goes on, the songs keep playing. You start fucking chatting with them, singing along to the songs with them. It's just, it, it's such a, a better experience. Like you said, for people like our age, I'm, I'm right around the same age as you, to have that experience over sitting at home in your living room. It's like uh, Versus when that shit started. I like <laughs> I like what they do with a lot of the Versus things. And there was definitely a need for it. Like when Timbo and RZA went against each other, or sorry, Premier and RZA went against each other and all that shit. But I mean, it's not the same. It's not the same as being in that venue. Well, right? they are in venues now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now. Like, yeah, but I mean, so that, I mean, look, that that's that's the thing, right? I mean, it's it's not it's not the metaverse is not meant for people like us on this call, right? It's meant for like yep. the few, like the, the kids that are like five, 10, 15 years yep. old, 20 yep. years old, like they're going to be the adopters of this thing. I mean, mm -hmm. look, I, I, I did a panel discussion last year about how do you build a network? How do you get business? Yeah. And I was the only panelist. And I said, straight up, I go, I don't use softwares. I don't use CRMs. I don't use these tools that you guys use. I go, I just have a Rolodex. Like I just built equity personally for 25 years. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, and, and look, it was a really good conversation because they saw merit in what I did. And these guys admittedly said, look, we don't have the human interaction capabilities and that sort of like energy you have. Mm -hmm. right? Do you, do you think that like, you know, guys, our age guys that are into the, the big daddy canes, right. The in-person concert ship, does that make it more difficult for you to connect with a newer age rapper? If you were still in that, that industry? I think so. Yeah. I mean, unless again, unless you're going to be like forward thinking, like, unless you're like a Gary V who's just like, he, he just mm. early adopts everything. So he can be 50, yep. but he'll be right in tune with those 20 year olds because he buys into it right away. I'm a guy, I'm kind of like slow and steady. I don't really like technology. Like I don't hate it, but I'm just kind of like, mm, nah, nah, nah. like I'm not an early adopter. I'm sort of the second or third generation adopter. So like, but yeah. for a guy like me, who's kind of like the world is just moving so fast. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, like, 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 and I'll use Gary Vian as an example, but like, he knows his role. He's like, I'm a technology guy. So anything tech, I'm in. So you could, you mm -hmm. could make the craziest thing of technology and he's in, he knows about it before it comes out and he's aware of it before anyone knows he's in, he buys it as he promotes that. Right. But like put Gary V like 40 years ago when it was analog and he would have been out of his element, not to this one. I'm just saying like, He's yeah, a technology yeah. guy, so he buys into it. So he can be 60 and still be as hip as the 20-year-old because that's his world. Yep. I've never been, I'm, not a, I'm, a, I'm an events guy. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm not a technology guy. I'm an events person. I'm a concert promoter. I'm a festival guy. I'm an I'm a experiential marketing guy. I'm not a technology guy. So mm -hmm. for me, it's a little bit harder to adapt because it's like, shit, I guess I really got to accept it. Dude, let me show you something. <laughs> you see my phone? Does that help? It's a Blackberry. Oh, hell no. Oh, it's oh, it's a black. I was like, it's a black screen. You got a fucking Blackberry still? <laughs> yeah, man. When did you get that? 2007? Actually, no, it's 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 an Android. It's it's only two years old. Um, 
it's it's like one of the newer models, but it's an Android, but it's a Blackberry. Like I don't have a Samsung, I don't have an Apple, I don't, I'll never get one. I don't care to have them. That's, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with them. They're great phones. I'm just saying, like, I'm not an electronics guy, you know. Like I only had I only recently put email on my phone. I don't have social media on my phone. I'm just like, you know, it's not, and there's nothing wrong with that. Teach his own. I'm just saying, like, <clears throat> I'm more of like, I want to go out and have dinners and meet people. I want to go and sit down. I want to get to know people. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to connect with you on an emotional, human level. Like, I don't want to have to go my entire relationship being on email or being digital or not real, you know, like, yeah. that's how I came up for 30 years before social media became a thing. So it's hard to just change. And I had success in it. So it's hard to change yeah. that now. And that, that makes a lot more sense for me now, too. When I message you on Facebook Messenger, sometimes it could take four days to hear back from you. If I, I text you, it's within 10, 15 minutes I hear back from you. No, you know, I don't even check my yeah. Facebook. I don't even check my Yeah, Facebook. I know. <laughs> like, I don't even check my LinkedIn. And it's not, I'm not, I'm just saying, like, I there's, like, LinkedIn, WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter. Yeah. Oh, when I, does it end? When does it end, right? Yeah, when does it end? So, you know, everyone has their own opinions and, and adopts technology in different ways. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm just kind of like, I, I accept it, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, I'm not, uh, I'm not this pro tech guy. Like, yeah, technology. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta start learning to write code and shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Neil, this has been awesome. Um, before we let you get out of here, is there anything else you want to plug or any more details you want to touch on for the autistic job fair or anything like that? Yeah, man. I mean, listen, like our job fair for job seekers that are, you know, that have autism, it's, it's called Spectrum Works. It's April 8th. It's across Canada. You uh-huh. can go to spectrumworks.ca if you want to attend it, or if you're an employer and you're watching this and you'd like to attend as an employer looking to hire people, you know, uh, my marketing company, the substance group.com. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I have to think about that. The substance group.com. <laughs> Um, yeah, like we just do a lot of marketing campaigns across North America, live, in-person, experiential, digital, virtual events, all that kind of stuff, man. That's sort of what my my world is about right now. Mm-hmm. And Amy, anything else you want to touch on with Neil before we let him go? No, I think we're good, man. Yeah, man, this, that was fucking like, uh, I'm sure you know who Ron Frazier is, Neil, yep. boxing coach, Randy Couture. Okay, uh, he's been on the show like three or four times and I've known Ron for quite a quite a long time. And when he comes on after the first time we've had him on, I was like, yo, this is story time with Ron Frazier. So every time he comes on, it's like story time with Ron Frazier, part two, part three. This is fucking story time with Neil Forrester, part one right here. I love this (laughs) shit, man. I love this. I love just kicking it and hearing the stories and talking about whatever, as opposed to like, you know, oh, let me prepare my answers. Q&A, and, and, yeah. And there, yeah, Q&A, like, this is fucking fun, man. This is why I do this shit. I even, love this. Even if you did that, I wouldn't even write my, I'm just, I'm like that too, man. I just go like, let's just go. Let's just exactly, go. man. Let's just fucking talk. We're two human yeah. beings. Let's sit down and have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. Well, I appreciate All right. you guys having me on. Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, we're definitely doing this again in a few months. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> you're not off the hook. When I, whenever you're free, I'm going to keep catching you every few months. Wicked, swinging yeah. you back in. I'm down, brother. Nice. All right. Okay, guys. Substance, substance Group for Neil Forrester, Amy Parton, Krill Kasatsky. I'm Jay Kelly. This is Spilling Downtown. We're out. Peace. Thank you. Building Downtown. Building Downtown. Building Downtown. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.